Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Just adjusting the mic here. <laughs> you know, uh, don't plug it in too much. <laughs> yeah, that's when I lost my speakers last time. So uh, every once in a while, and it just happened uh, a few days ago, uh, the signal quit. and It just quits. And I have to uh, call in by cell phone, which is really unfortunate because I don't like shouting. And it does, it does take a toll on the voice. You know, you try talking for three hours. Uh, it's kind of tough. You know, unless you're on a date, in which case is pretty easy, uh, but that can cause other problems. Anyway, uh, it's just fascinating the um, the fact that I was I realized that I really haven't been sick since COVID. I mean, with anything, and this is we're talking January of 2020. This is three years now, and so I think I got it when everybody else around got it. We just didn't know what it was, uh, so we dealt it with, with it the old-fashioned way. You know, took some various meds. You know, rested, <laughs> got over it. You know, went back to work. Uh, and so that what the, what the fascinating part about that is, uh, we cured it. <laughs> You know, before we knew what it was. Um, and then once we found out what it was, everybody panicked and took vaccines and locked down in mass and everything else. But the fact that we had already cured it around here and everybody already had immunity uh, is hysterical. But what's fascinating about that, and maybe because this is a, because it is a bioweapon, because it is completely artificial, because it is, um, you know, a man-made bioengineered, you know, destructive thing from Dr. Fascist, the genocidal, psychopathic, avaricious, narcissistic, uh, pathologically lying vaccine drug pusher. Uh, Dr. Fascist, you know who I'm talking about. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Anyway, um, because this is such a foreign thing, I think it jumpstarted all our immune systems. And unfortunately, all those folks that uh, did take the vaccine for something they probably already had, uh, of course, they didn't test that. You know, if they tested for immunity, uh, nobody would. You know, I, I bet you, you know, only only about. Uh, well, they said, but the Congress said that. Well, start again, Greg. Congress was briefed back in March of 2020 that everybody was going to get exposed. Dr. Peter McCullough has said, there we go, has said that 94% of the population's already had COVID. Well, that's rather interesting. So 75% of the population got vaccinated for something they probably already had, (laughs) which is mindlessly stupid and wasteful and costs us trillion dollars. So the inflation that you're now paying for in the price of all the goods is for the the some $6 trillion that was spent for COVID for a disease that we already had. When you think about that, it puts it in perspective. It's rather staggering. But what I find fascinating, too, is just this recent revelation that I haven't been sick with anything uh, except for a slight cold I had after going through a necessary hospital, uh, one of those, you know, over 50 checks. And I'll, I'll let you figure out which one. Um, but the point is, I'm fine. I, I, you know, I'm in good health here. So, uh, uh, so that's the good news. But uh, there we go. Knock on my table. <laughs> I don't know why one knocks on wood. I'll have to look that up. But, uh, but the point is, yeah, yeah, prevention. Prevention is, is the secret of life, trust me. Uh, having uh, discovered a skin cancer early and gotten rid of it, it's like, yep, still here. <laughs> it's still gone, still doing action radio. Uh, stay out of the sun. But I heard recently uh, there was a doctor, uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, Dr. Ruby. Uh, Janet Ruby, Judy Ruby, J- Dr. Anyway, she, I was watching one of her podcasts and she talked about the fact the sun doesn't cause skin cancer. So the only other thing that could, if you're out in the sun too much, is sunscreen. And that's what I think happened to me. Uh, you know, my, my, my copper tone sport that I used to use, um, not to name brand, but, you know, uh, coincidence or causality, you tell me. So, so uh, use, I worked out outside a lot. 
And uh, so I put on, you know, my copper tone. This is in California, so the sun's pretty strong. You know, so my copper tone sport, which is great. You know, didn't wear off, didn't do anything. But, uh, you know, the very place where I put lots of it, <laughs> I got skin cancer. You tell me, was it the sunscreen or was it the sun? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, good morning, Marco, in the Netherlands. Uh, the Netherlands is growing, by the way. So uh, we're getting more of an audience there, which is great. So more listeners, more time spent. So that's wonderful. So, uh, so Marco, if you want to start the, uh, the Action Radio Club over there, uh, that would be fabulous. You know, find, find whatever your, your social media of choice over there is. Uh, let me know. I'd be kind of, I'd be kind of curious. But uh, yeah, maybe we could do like a Zoom call or something. How sick is this? Zelensky is in the Netherlands asking for more weapons. Oh, that raises a really good point. So let's, so let's go right to that. See, this is the nice thing about Action Radio. Instant response. Uh, if you're on the podcast, you can't see this. But if you're listening to the show live, we have a live chat. And so Marco, uh, on the day we remember the death of World War II. Okay, well, that's even worse. All right, so this would be May, what's today, May 4th. Tomorrow is May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, the holiday that we celebrate in place of Mexico, who doesn't celebrate it at all, because Mexican Independence, Independence Day is September 15th, 16th, I think. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. But um, now the Netherlands was particularly harshly um, dealt with in World War II by the Nazis. And so I know a little bit about World War II history. Um, I went all through Europe. Uh, including the Netherlands, you know, Belgium, Denmark, you know, all kinds of different places, Germany, France, you know, all this. Uh, it was it was interesting. So 5th of May is Liberation Day. Okay, so Zelensky, Zelensky's a pig. Let's, let's put it bluntly. He's a stand-up comic that was put in a position that he doesn't deserve. He's an idiot. He's waging this war to make billions of dollars for himself. Apparently, there was a story, uh, I think The Guardian has a story, that uh, downtown Kiev is like Paris used to be. You know, bars and nightclubs, and they're they're partying there, much like uh, Kuwait was when uh, uh, when we were defending their oil, you know, with our lives, uh, and they were out partying. And so, uh, you know, that's that's uh, everything. You know, our foreign policy, especially with with Brandon, is always wrong. Brandon has never made a correct decision in his life when it comes to foreign policy. So we got liberation. All right, let me look that up. Let me put that in my um, my thing here. Okay, so May fifth, I believe, is the day that Hitler committed suicide. If I have that right, that's the day that the Russians were in Berlin, you know, and approaching um, the, the Reichstag. And so it was, was it the Reichstag or whatever his headquarters was uh, in Berlin. But um, that's I'll take a look at that. But, yeah, so um, it'd be interesting to, to find I got to do um, Marco, if you have a good uh, website over there. Uh, to sort of monitor or, or like if there's discussions or news coverage or, or things. Maybe I should get to Eva, <laughs> my favorite reporter on the planet, Eva van Dingerbroek. Uh, see if I can, uh, she's covering this. I'm sure she is. Um, but uh, this is the most gorgeous woman in the world, bar none. And so uh, I'm hoping she does some coverage of this. But I'll take a look. She's the only reporter I know uh, in the Netherlands. But it would be interesting to see what the coverage is going on, especially with, what, are they covering Zelensky in the Netherlands or are they actually covering the end of World War II? Um, I still remember when I visited northern France uh, with my daughter years ago, and we went to Caen, and that's spelled C-A-E-N, and Caen was one of the places that was completely devastated um, by the Nazis, and then, of course, that was where the D-Day invasion was, coming across Normandy and the beaches, and we all know them, Omaha, um, what are the other, <laughs> we used to know, okay, come on, Greg, what are the beaches of Normandy? Uh, Omaha is the one I remember the most. Uh, I think the uh, was do you know the British beach? Oh, she that, that sounds terrible. Anyway, so Normandy invasion, uh, June sixth, D Day, nineteen forty four. Uh, but these towns, they still remember being liberated uh, by American soldiers. And you go there as an American, and the 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 kids and the grandkids 
of the people that were there, they heard the stories uh, of the Americans that came through and liberated and the British and the Canadians, everybody else that came through uh, with the invasion. So this really famous, uh, the, the very, uh, not can, no, no, not can. Let me spell it for uh, Marco here. C-A-E-N. So C-A-E-N, France, F-R-A-N-C-E. So it's the North Coast. It's up in the, the Brittany, Nor- it's in Normandy, I think. Um, but I, I, we took a boat over from uh, Portsmouth, England. And so we went down the coast of Portsmouth after being in Bristol. So we went from Bristol to Portsmouth. Portsmouth on a ferry boat arrived in France too late <laughs> to, to uh, get the bus to our hotel. So my broken French, <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, we got there like 10 o'clock at night. It was about four hours late, right? So, so the only place there are, are cabs. And of course, it's bad. The, the cab drivers don't speak French, right? So here I am with my kid. And she's like 11 or 12 or something like that. So we're, we're sitting there uh, and we hop in the cab and she's in the back seat with the two French speaking people. So she can't talk to them. Uh, I was in the front. It was, it was a small cab because, you know, there's only room for like a few of us. And I start speaking French because I learned a little bit of French in, in junior high and high school. Uh, very little, actually, but maybe it was just junior high. I don't think I took it in high school. Anyway, I exempted other languages. I knew enough to pass the, the, the college language part. But I start speaking French and asking, you know, où est l'hôtel? Uh, you know, see play. You know, all of a sudden, this friend, like just like that, it just, it just it's like in the deep recesses of my mind. You know, like where's the hotel? And I, I point to a card we had or something like that. And the guy rattles off a bunch of stuff in French, in French, and off we go. <laughs> and my my daughter's like, uh, yeah, that means a little, yeah. So uh, so Marco speaks a little French also. Well, you're, I mean, Netherlands is is right there. I think it's Belgium. Uh, don't you border? I mean, I haven't looked at the map right away, but Belgium, Germany, and France. Let me take a look. This is why I have a globe of the world just for these occasions when I don't know where places are. So let's look up here. So we've got uh, Netherlands, yeah, Germany, Belgium. Looks like it borders Germany and Belgium, Uh, I think. Yep, there we go. Unless I'm misreading my map. He'll tell me. (laughs) Put the map back. Oh, there we go. Yeah, if you don't have a globe on your on your desk, then you don't know where you are. Trust me, you don't. It's, uh, nobody can memorize a world map. Well, some people can. Anyway, I'm digressing. <laughs> well, I got two hours this morning, so uh, we have a lot of time to chat because I have. Uh, uh, I'm still. You know, we got some extra hours. I'm looking at different people uh, coming in as reporters and things. And uh, this is I was terrible at French in high school. <laughs> this is mein Deutsch ist besser. That's good. Guten Tag, Marco. Head of Marco. So anyway, now, how much difference uh, is there between Dutch and German? I mean, they're, they're close. It's probably like Russian and Ukrainian. They're very close. You know, I imagine that uh, Chinese, Mandarin, and Cantonese are, are fairly close, but they're different. There's, 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 you know, little differences. Of course, in the United States, we speak English with like 15 different accents. <laughs> which, which is still English, though, sort of. You know, it depends on where you go, especially compared to British English. Anyway, I'm all over the place this morning. Let me see if I can focus uh, for a second. So the question was, uh, Zelensky, um, the, the fake president of, uh, of Ukraine, the, the comedian, the stand-up comedian, um, who was given a ridiculous position of power you know, after the, uh, the Obama administration overthrew the legitimate government of Ukraine, I believe in 2014, and sort of like downhill from there. So this is an Obama operation. The, the whole Ukraine thing is an Obama operation. Uh, it has to be. Uh, Obama, Susan Rice, those folks. Um, and so it, it, that's what makes this all so dangerous. Um, is that there's no reason for the war. In fact, when Dr. Peter Pry was alive and he was reporting to us on the show, you know, Putin put out six conditions uh, for not going to war with Ukraine. And the first one was that Ukraine doesn't become a member of NATO. Um, Robert Kennedy Jr. just tweeted out the other day the same thing, that we could have, there, there would be no war uh, if, the, um, 
if Ukraine hadn't declared part of NATO, NATO hadn't sought out Ukraine membership in NATO. And I forgot who said, I think it was Doug McGregor said last night on Dan Ball, you know, did we go to war for our own vanity? Do we force these countries into war just to make us feel good or for the, or what I would say, the permanent war class, the military industrial financial complex that, uh, that war is good for business. That's why we're moving from Ukraine to Sudan because they can always see the end of Ukraine. Ukraine was, you know, it was over before it started, but it's pretty much over now. Uh, the spring offensive when the ground dries out, as they say, is going to be a massacre. And there was no reason for it. None whatsoever. But, uh, you know, Putin was kind of forced into it. But if we could have avoided war by simply not including Ukraine and NATO, that's like, a, that's like a victory with no price. Why wouldn't you do that? Only an insane person would push a war. Well, Brandon, rest my case. The man is not sane anymore. He's not, he's not in control of his faculties. But as we all know, he's not the one in charge. It's some combination of Obama, uh, Hillary, Susan Rice, and some other folks. And I don't know how much Hillary has power. I know Obama's running most of the show with Susan Rice. And I know that since I found out Susan Rice was supposed to be the vice president, not cackling Kamala Harris. You know, and so that's, they put her in because Susan Rice stupidly wrote an email saying how she spied on the Trump campaign. Idiot. <laughs> that's arrogance. Well, she's not an idiot. She's very smart. But she's very dangerous because she's very smart. But she, she blew that one. That's just arrogance. So these people, the, the, these communist Marxists, they have to tell you what they're doing. So as far as Zelensky being in the Netherlands on World War II Remembrance Day, uh, you know, there's, there's so many historical dates throughout the year that if we didn't do things on all of them, nothing would ever get done. Having said that, you can still have political, you know, things and activities go on uh, with respect for what happened. So, in other words, if Zelensky went to the Netherlands and said, I want to honor the end of World War II and the sacrifice made by the Dutch, you know, as long as he didn't say, and we're making the same sacrifice, you know, we're in this too, you know, when he caused the war, that would be a different thing. You know, Netherlands and the other countries were invaded by Germany. Uh, they didn't ask for this. You know, and here's something too, Marco, I'd be curious what you think of this. The perception is that Switzerland wasn't invaded um, because they were, quote, neutral. And I'll bet you the Netherlands and Belgium and Norway and, you know, France and, and all these other countries, the, you know, the, the old Sudetenland, you know, Austria, all these different places. Well, Austria may be different, but all of Eastern Europe and all, and all the way to Russia, you know, all these different countries. I bet you they would love to have remained neutral and not been invaded, you know, but to the reason Switzerland wasn't invaded was two reasons. One, mountains and two, guns. Everybody in the Swiss population had guns. Now, I know about the French resistance, but I don't know about the Dutch resistance, but I know it was there. I think a lot of countries had a resistance. Uh, Norway had a resistance. A bunch of different places did. So let me ask Marco, who's in, listening in the Netherlands right now, do you honor, do you have a day for, for the Dutch liberation folks, so the Dutch resistance? That would be something interesting to find out. Who's oh, got another website for me? Uh, Limburgish. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. So, Marco, so, so while the show goes on, Marco sends me websites, which I copy, and uh, sometimes I can check during the show, uh, and sometimes I just save them for afterwards and put them on my, my program notes. And so uh, that's what's going on here. So let me get back on track here. We've got a lot to talk about, actually. All right. So uh, the first thing, first revelation is um, that I haven't gotten sick since I had COVID in January 2020 before I knew what it was. So what I'm wondering is, because COVID was a man-made bioengineered weapon, um, for all of us that got over it rather quickly, and me, I, was, I just took two days of rest. I was fine. Um, because our body had to get something brand new and adapt to something totally unnatural, totally man-made, you know, bioengineered, did that make our immune system stronger? And I'm wondering if by adapting, you know, because when you use your immune system, it gets stronger. So I'm wondering by adapting to a bioweapon disease rather quickly, bioweapon virus, you know, like I say, I was, I was sick for a couple of weeks. I was working through it. 
uh, trying to just, you know, carry on like I normally do. If I have a cold, I, I do the show, okay? My voice is scratchy, I do the show. It's a little scratchy now, but since most of my friends have laryngitis and can't talk at all, I think I'm doing pretty well. But I'm wondering if there's an extra layer of resistance that is built up uh, for all of us that got COVID and just do the normal things, rest, vitamins, <laughs> you know, took it easy, maybe a Tylenol for a few folks or aspirin. I don't, I don't take those things. I don't take drugs unless absolutely necessary. The only time I ever had painkillers was after open heart surgery. Trust me, they were needed. <laughs> you know, that, that's a good reason. All right. Anyway, so let's see. Oh, here we go. So Marco says, maybe you forgot something. Switzerland was always the bank of Europe where wealthy people have stored their money. Might have something to do. Yes, it might. It might have something to do with it. But it also might, uh, it might have been even more reason for the Nazis to invade Switzerland, which I think they tried to do. You look back, you know, go through history, there are, there are attacks. Um, but I think because if, if all the money was in Europe uh, and the Germans, considering that uh, Goering raided all the art museums and different people, raided, I mean, they even took the, the, the gold from, from Jews' teeth after they were, uh, you know, killed in the, in the, uh, the death camps. You know, so I think that, that Switzerland would have been more of a target because they had money and they had banks rather than being left alone. You know, I mean, yes, the Swiss, the, the, the major German corporations might have, would have been doing it, but the government itself, the Nazi government under Hitler, uh, would have happily seized all those banks and used that money for the war effort. So that's, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. But the Swiss had guns. Everybody, everybody in Switzerland had a rifle, <laughs> you know, 6.5 caliber, whatever. Um, okay, so I'm gonna, that's a rather long comment. <laughs> I'm going to let you read it. So those of you who are listening live uh, can read, uh, read his, uh, Marco's comment, which is pretty interesting. Thank you as a guest. We've got to figure out how to get him on the line. We've got to talk to uh, uh, his boss and see if I can get him on the Skype line. And uh, the Skype line's back up and working. So, so that's going on. All right, let me get back to my, my stuff here. Thanks, Marco. Appreciate the extra information. I'll tell you what, I'm going to copy that comment because it's big. And what I want to do is maybe refer to it later in the show. And, or I might even post it on Facebook. But it's a pretty cool thing. He emailed to Facebook. Uh, I'm still learning how to use all this technology in the most effective way possible. So that's one, two, three, skip down, put it in a different section here. There we go. Got your comment, Marco. All right. So the other thing that's, um, that's, that's kind of crazy that uh, I should get Marco's comment also on is the fact that uh, it's rumored, this is the Russian news is putting this out, that uh, Zelensky uh, had a drone attack trying to kill uh, Putin, you know, in, the, in, the resident, in his residence in the Kremlin. This is insane. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're already going to lose the war. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's, it, why would you try and do that? If they were successful, there would be no Ukraine. Uh, so the retaliation, I'm still waiting for the retaliation for uh, Brandon blowing up the Northern 2 pipeline. That's going to be funny. And let me ask Marco, also in the Netherlands, did, um, oh, he's, gonna, he's, got, he's, he's got to leave us for a bit. But the question when he comes back um, is, uh, was, uh, was the Netherlands getting uh, gas uh, from the Nord Stream pipeline? I know it's going to Germany. Um, but I wonder if it somehow was it, uh, were they selling it to then Holland then or Netherlands uh, or how was it working? Anyway, curious. I'm always curious about these things. All right. So if it's true that Zelensky and his infinite stupidity um, tried to assassinate Putin with a drone, then that's an act of war. Yeah, I mean, they're already at war. But if you do an act of war during a war, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, the troops are already there, the missiles and bombs and stuff. And apparently, from what Colonel McGregor said, uh, Ukraine has no air defense anymore. You know, and these, you know, if you don't have an air defense, especially these, I mean, we learned that in World War One. If you don't have an air defense, you know, I mean, 110 mile an hour World War One fighters were strafing the trench and killing hundreds of soldiers at a time. You know, and all they had was uh, biplanes, you know, fabric, wood, wire, going 110 miles an hour. I mean, that's about how fast these things went. You know, they're they're about as fast as a Cessna 172 today, and that was the top line fighter, and they were still dangerous. 
you know, that's why that's why the uh, the air forces of the world battle each other. The whole point of airplanes, you know, airplanes bomb you know things on the ground, and uh, then uh, other airplanes try to shoot them down. So you need other airplanes to shoot down the planes that are trying to shoot down your your bombers and ground attack planes. But that's how it works, right? Air superiority is where it's at. No war, you know, has been won since World War Two, World War One, without air superiority. Um, so it's quite fascinating. All right. So let's see what happens with uh, Zelensky, the idiot. Uh, see if he's, you know, I haven't really researched the story yet. I'm going to let it sit for a few days like I usually do, see what comes out, and see if they were uh, dumb enough, dumb enough to, uh, to try and uh, assassinate Putin. See, now if he did, that would have to, be, that would have to come from Obama to do that because I'm sure Obama and uh, Zelensky are, are communicating. They're not communicating with Brandon. Brandon is just, you know, uh, being told what to do, and, you know, he reads his lines, and he's reading them worse all the time. So, so, you know, it'd be nice if somebody actually exposed Obama somehow, you know, with a leaked um, cell phone or like they're doing to Tucker Carlson now. You know, let's, let's catch Obama directing Brandon you know, in the White House, you know, or, or Susan Rice, you know, actually telling Brandon what to do. You know, get one of those, you know, those things, those parabolic things, you know, when they, when they listen to what's going on in the huddle at a football game. Get one of those, those little parabolic microphone things. Aim it at Susan Rice and let's see what she's saying to Brandon. Yeah, you know, here are your orders for today, Brandon. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure this is how it works, right? But um, so not only do, do we have an illegal um, administration, um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, everything they're doing is illegal. I mean, it's really scary. All right, so let's get to, I think I've got that. Da, 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 da. All right, so let's, uh, let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like a series of short breaks here and just kind of break things up with a little bit. I might, I might play my, my musical selections. You folks that don't, don't listen to the end of the show, you don't hear them. But uh, I have a bunch of um, musical things that I play at the end, at the end of every show. So I'm going to go through them uh, in the course of, of the next little bit. So here's, the, here's what I play at the end of the show uh, on Monday, and I'll be right back. Tuesdays in a little bit, and then Wednesdays, I'll kind of go through that. I'll, I'll play my commercial announcements, too. But I thought that might be a little bit fun. So uh, unless you listen all the way to the end of the show, you, you don't know all, all the things we have, the announcements, the, the different promo things that I do. Uh, I try and do them during the show, but sometimes we get so involved, I'd rather not interrupt the guests. And again, Marco, let me read Marco's comment here. Uh, he says, Switzerland benefited from its neutrality during World War II by purchasing vast amounts of gold from Allied and Axis powers. It exchanged the precious metal for Swiss francs, the only free convertible currency at the time outside the American dollar. This trade benefited Germany in particular, effectively turning Switzerland into an enabler of the German war effort. The Swiss acquired 79% of all German gold delivered to foreign countries, with 90% of that ending up in, in the Swiss National Bank and the remainder in commercial banks. Okay, there we go. Okay, so he's got a website here. 
So uh, it'd be uh, swissinfo.ch/eng/historical uh, book from the Nazis who were from anyway. It's uh, anyway. Um, we'll get it later, <laughs> but you can look it up. Uh, so he's back. So so Marco's back. I was just reading your comment, Marco. All right. So let's talk about. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of other things I want to talk about here. Uh, the debt ceiling and the perpetual lie. And they're still lying. The Republicans are lying. The Democrats are lying. The bureaucrats are lying. The branded insurrection is lying. The media is lying. Everybody is lying. Nobody's telling the truth that you do not have to raise the debt ceiling to meet our obligations. What Congress has to do is lower its obligations to meet that debt ceiling. And that is very easy to do by simply cutting spending. Cutting spending is not a hard thing to do. Having the will to cut spending that's the hard thing to do because they are addicted to spending. You know, money is their, is their drug of choice. You know, money is their everything. You know, they, they, and they don't care because it's not their money. You know, if we, uh, if we had a, uh, uh, if we took the salary of members of Congress uh, and all their speaking fees, I mean, their total income, this, is, this wouldn't just be because uh, they make more money outside. You know, and, and capital gains, everything. You took the total money that was uh, accrued by members of Congress. And anytime they were above the, anytime they, they, they tried to raise the debt ceiling, we took away half of all their money. Then it would change. Now, I'm not recommending doing that necessarily because I don't believe in that kind of formula stuff. But the point is, they pay no price. They pay no price for committing economic suicide, uh, other than the fact that uh, they, along with us, will be a broken country. Uh, we can borrow our way into, um, you know, personal destruction uh, of the country. So destruction of the country can easily be done by simply borrowing too much money. And I've asked people the same question. Well, how much money, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the real limit of how much we can borrow before the economy collapses? And nobody knows. So because they don't know, they don't care to know. They're not even trying to figure it out. You know, it'd be nice if the, uh, uh, the, the, was it the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, the, quote, nonpartisan CBO, actually came out and said, you know, at, uh, at $40 trillion, the economy collapses. Don't do that. Of course, then they'd borrow up to $40 trillion and try and hold it there. But they'd exceed it because they're addicted, you know. They don't see it. They don't see the consequences. It's like, you know, lemmings before they run over the cliff and one lemming says to the other, hey, I hear there's a cliff up ahead. Oh, yeah? What's a cliff? (laughs) They don't know. They don't care. They just, you know, and then they all run off and go, oh, this is interesting. I'm falling, (laughs) you know. Uh, And so uh, the inevitable crash, um, the economy or, or, you know, anyway. Um, But that's, that's where we are. So the only way to stop this nonsense is, is our constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. And if anybody has a better solution, I'm open. I don't think there is one. So I wrote it that way. Well, that's kind of strong, Greg. You want to take away there? What, 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 about, a, what about a war? What about a war? <laughs> Believe me, if, if uh, the missiles start flying, you know, Congress is not going to have time to meet and borrow money. Okay? It's not going to be an issue. Oh, gee, Greg, what about a pandemic? What about an emergency? Okay, COVID could have been cured by simply letting us get over it, and that would have cost nothing. Uh, Peter Navarro had some 80 million tablets of hydroxychloroquine ready to go. That would have cost uh, maybe a couple million dollars at, at uh, what, 20 cents a pop? You know, and so that, w- that would have been nothing. So there was absolutely no need to borrow anything. So COVID basically was a non-event if we'd let it be a non-event. Okay, COVID's coming. Okay, that's nice. All right, well, okay. If you, these folks are really sick, you know, we've got early treatments, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, vitamin D3, vitamin C, you know, zinc. We can all get you the Zelenko protocol. You'll all be fine. Don't worry about it. And those that are really sick, only the really sick people will go to the hospital, and they should get anything but remdesivir and the ventilator death march. And so, but it wasn't structured that way. It was structured so that COVID would be preserved, that COVID would be maximized, 
that the maximum number of people would be killed in the hospitals with remdesivir and ventilators, that the hospitals would be paid to kill people, making them hospital death camps, and that uh, uh, they'd all be rewarded and that uh, the system would perpetuate until everybody got, you know, the deadly COVID jab. And here we are. So COVID was not expensive. The government response was expensive, but the government response was not needed. In fact, it made everything worse, much like Brandon. So there's no need to spend any money. So, but the, so the, this lie, and, and so all the inflation that we have now is brought about by COVID spending that was completely unnecessary and made everything worse. So not only are you paying a whole bunch more for inflation, you're paying for inflation that never should have happened and wouldn't have happened with any, if anybody with a brain and a conscience were actually in charge at uh, you know, the, the National Institute of Health, the CDC, and those other things. But they weren't. You, know, you had Dr. Fascists and the health Nazis. And no disrespect to, to the, the real Nazis, you know, to the, the folks that suffered under the real Nazis, you know, I mean, the, like I say, on this World War II, you know, remembrance time. Um, but that's what I call them. You know, Nazis in that uh, hospitals are, are virtual death camps or real death camps, as we talked about yesterday on the show. Um, so that's what's going on there. All right. So let's, that's enough of the debt ceiling. So the debt is easily cured. In fact, the question I have, here's the question I have. You know, and then we're going to do uh, electric cars for the next hour and a half. Um, the question I have very simply, is why has nobody asked the question that I've wanted to ask for a long time, if I could ever speak to uh, Janet Yellen or uh, the, the, the budget folks in Congress or the national media or anybody, uh, it's a simple question. How much money has Congress borrowed above the national debt ceiling already? See, that's the problem. They borrow above the debt ceiling, forcing them to say, well, we, we have to meet our obligations. No, you don't. You made obligations that could not be met under the current debt ceiling. And then expect us to raise it again. It's like uh, having a thousand dollar credit card limit, spending twelve hundred dollars. You know, saying, "What well, you have to, you know, we have ob- you have to meet my obligations. I've already spent that money. You have to raise my credit limit for the money I've already spent. Otherwise, I'll default. We can't have that, right?" Well, same thing at the national level. So that Congress spends more money than they can, you know, because uh, it, it goes above the debt ceiling. They know this. They don't tell anybody this, but they know they spend more than the debt. Oh, and then they. Um, then they come back and say, well, you, you, have to have a, you have to raise the debt ceiling, otherwise we'll default. No. You, all they have to do is cut that spending that they just made. Cut the spending below the national debt uh, ceiling, and uh, then you don't have a national debt ceiling to raise. <laughs> so the, that's the answer. It's always the answer. Cut spending below the national debt ceiling. Simple, simple. Back in a bit. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Okay, I'm looking for the piece that I play at the end of Tuesday's show. I know it's here somewhere. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's see if I can find it. Where'd it go? Where's my music? It's not that one. It's not that one. It's not that one. Ah, here it is. Okay. So at the end of Tuesday's show, if you're listening on a Tuesday, you'll hear this at the end of the show. 
Aren't those fun? They're all about a minute and a half. Oh, well, actually less than that. A little bit over a minute long. And I found these. And they're, they're non-copyright because they're classical. So it's non-copyright music for my, my sound effects, my, my vast you know, library of sound effects and things at my disposal. And so I copied a bunch of them. I thought, well, these would be cool for the show. <laughs> you know, but I thought at the end of it, like I say, people listen in the middle and they only listen to their favorite report. They might miss all the fun stuff we do here. All right. So let's talk about electric cars. Electric cars are the greatest hoax, propaganda, and ripoff. Um, probably, uh, well, I think COVID's bigger. But as far as it goes, electric cars are right up there. There's no reason to electric cars. Uh, if people want them, that's fine. But there's no reason to subsidize them. There's no reason to, to promote them. There's no reason to get cleaner than gasoline cars. And uh, especially since the power plants run on organic fuels, you know, petroleum, natural gas, oil, uh, oil coal, uh, things like that. And, of course, uranium, uh, the ultimate organic fuel. Uh, that should be a great bumper sticker, uranium, the ultimate organic fuel. Um, there's no reason for electric cars to be subsidized because they run the very same fuel that the petroleum engines run on. It's just that it has to be turned into electricity first. So you're actually losing power because you have to go through the conversion. So whenever you convert one thing to another, you know, when you convert, you know, uh, engine power into motion power, something like that, you're changing form, direction, things like that. There's a bunch of rules in physics, but you always lose efficiency. You know, so when you, when you turn gasoline into burning gasoline, um, it has so much power when it expands to push the pistons up and down and make your car move. But you lose efficiency because a lot of it, there's a lot of heat generation generated in that combustion process because it is a combustion process, right? You know, carbon and hydrogen, hydrocarbons, in other words, gasoline, um, meet with oxygen, you know, through the carburetor or through the fuel injectors. Uh, and they go into the engine and they're mixed and the, the, with the gasoline, it forms a combustible mixture that burns. And as it burns, it expands the gas, uh, and it moves your pistons. But as it does that, it creates a whole lot of heat. Well, that heat is wasted energy because it takes a certain amount of gasoline you know, to create the heat, uh, and that heat's not being used for motion. Of course, then the engine has to move. You know, the piston has to move up and down, and then it has to transfer that to the crankshaft, crankshaft to the drive shaft, drive shaft to the wheels, wheels to the car moving forward. And every time you transfer the direction of power, you lose efficiency. That's why an airplane engine is more efficient. Because the, the engine burns up, you know, the pistons go up and down. You know, this is a propeller. Jet engines are the most efficient. They're great. But uh, they also use a lot of fuel because uh, they take in a lot of air. So that's a difference. But they go a lot faster, too. Anyway, so propeller actually is very efficient at a low speed. It's great for, for a low-speed airplane. That's why most of the small planes are propellers. You know, they've rotated in other engines now. And there's, there's an explosion in general aviation coming. It's going to be great. All kinds of new airplanes. We just have to get rid of the, the light sport aircraft rule and make them a lot more accessible. Um, but uh, anyway... So what's going to happen? So, but airplane engines, you know, that all does is turn a crankshaft, and there's a propeller at the end of it. So it's minimum directional change. Yeah, it still creates the same heat. And an internal combustion engine is an internal combustion engine. So whether you stick it in an airplane or in a car, it's still going to have a lot of loss due to heat. But because the engine turns the crankshaft directly to a propeller, uh, it's a lot more efficient. Anyway, but the propeller itself is, not that, is only about 85% efficient. So it loses efficiency, too. In fact, the Wright brothers' propellers are like 82% efficient. <laughs> they really gained much. It's interesting. And now they have these little scimitar shapes. I guess they're probably like 90%, 92% efficient. I don't know. They're good. But that's why they changed the shape of propellers for the first time in, you know, 80 years. All right. So let's get on to the articles here. So the first one I have is carbon footprint of electric cars versus gasoline. Who's no one admits. So I collected a series of articles on electric cars over the past, I'd say, month and a half, maybe two months. And I've been waiting for a day that was kind of slow in the news to get to them. And, well, today's it. Even though it's not that slow, it's, it's, you know, it could be worse. So this is from Georgette Kilgore, K-I-L-G-O-R-E. Nothing to do with Al Gore. It's just Kilgore. That's the name, K-I-L-G-O-R-E. April 25th, 2023. So this one's pretty recent. 
And so it says carbon footprint of electric cars versus gasoline. That's the title of the article. And uh, she, uh, her, let me just double check here. Uh, Georgette, yes. And Georgette says, many people wonder about the carbon footprint of electric cars versus gasoline, whether or not the, quote, green claims are all they're cracked up to be. The unfortunate truth is that many people assume that electric vehicles either do not have a carbon footprint or that their carbon footprint is so significantly reduced from that of a gasoline vehicle as to be inconsequential. However, dot, 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 the truth is that no one likes to admit is that production, shipment, and charging for a new electric vehicle still produces a large amount of carbon emissions. Now, of course, you know on this show that we love carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is plant food, and carbon dioxide is essential. It is Necessary, but electric cars aren't. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we might as well just burn burn the burn the carbon directly from the the petroleum, put it right directly in the atmosphere, um, have the power plants do it. But that's another story. So the carbon emissions. It says while a used vehicle is likely the lowest cost emissions option because of the eco cost of manufacturing. See, that's the thing. These batteries are horrible. This is pretty. See, I think hybrids are the best way to go. You know, although I like a good gasoline engine and hope to have one in a uh, 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 either a Firebird or a Trans Am or a, you know a Corvette or a Ferrari 308, you know GT or one of those cars anyway, or all of them, you know Jaguar uh, uh, SKE. You know, I want to try I want to try a V12 engine. That that sounds like fun. Because <sighs> at least I'm not going to be the one changing the spark plugs if I can afford that. All right, back to the point here. But the point is that um, electric cars have a horrible cost to them. And for that reason, they should not be subsidized. That's basically where I'm going with this. And it says purchasing an electric vehicle may still be a good option but for you, but knowing the facts about what it will really cost the environment, depending on where you live, will allow you to make the best decision for eco-conscious lifestyle. This is a, this is a green website. What is the website called? Uh, what is it called here? Carbon Offsets Credits. Is that what the name of the – no. This is, this is a green website. <laughs> Let me see if I find the title of the website here. Um, you know, I think it's called carbon offsets. Yeah, there you go. You know, which is like buying um, certain things to, to, to put more carbon into the air. Oh, they have a great graphic here of a vehicle, and the exhaust is in the shape of a, a brown footprint. In other words, the carbon footprint coming out of the tailpipe. Oh, that's very clever. All right. So anyway, so this is, this is liberals talking to liberals. This is a, an environmental website saying that electric cars are not as environmental you know, as you think. So if you're a good environmentalist, you maybe want to, uh, you know, talk about your eco-conscious lifestyle. So if you if you have an eco-conscious lifestyle, you know, electric cars might fit into it. That's interesting. See, nothing, nothing's ever black and white. Nothing's ever good or bad completely. There's always this gray area. So now we're in a, on, a, on a green website talking about how electric cars aren't all that green. That's interesting. Next section, what is the real carbon footprint of electric vehicles? Electric car carbon footprint truths. This is to understand the carbon footprint of electric cars versus gasoline. You have to examine a number of factors. Uh, after the specific number of miles on the road, most electric vehicles do tend to have a lower carbon footprint than gas vehicles. But that's not the case during the manufacturing and shipping processes. This is, in fact, in many instances, the environmental cost of these processes is far worse for electric vehicles, largely due to their lithium-ion batteries, the EV batteries. This is why I say, if you want to save money, if you drive in the city, get a hybrid. You know, because they use the um, the brakes right charging the vehicle, so they have a gasoline engine for when you need it, which is good, works. You, know, you don't have to worry about electric stuff, uh, and you can always fill up everywhere. But you have a hybrid engine that, that actually uses the the momentum of the car to, to charge it when you to charge the battery. But it's not the same as an electric car battery, because the battery in a in a hybrid is constantly charging, as opposed to a battery in an electric car that's constantly discharged. See the difference? 
So, so that's why hybrid is a better vehicle. And why they don't push hybrids, I don't know. But I still don't want, I don't want the government messing up the market anyway. So in other words, people might buy more hybrids, which I think are good, you know, if, there were, if the electric cars weren't so heavily subsidized. So anytime you subsidize it, you skew the market. So the only reason people are buying electric cars is because they're either mandated for whatever um, or because they're heavily subsidized and they get, uh, you know, they get a whole bunch of money back. Truth number one from the article, carbon cost of manufacturing electric vehicles. This is but what makes building EV batteries so bad for the environment. The primary issue is that these batteries require the mining and transportation of various raw materials, including cobalt and lithium. Usually the batteries themselves are built in gigafactories, massive facilities that create EV batteries on a large scale. Do we have any of those in the United States? I don't think so. Isn't that a problem? Then it says, these facilities require a large amount of energy to function. Usually this energy is generated from the burning of fossil fuels, which we call organic fuels because we know better. In turn, this increases the carbon footprint of the batteries that are installed in electric vehicles. And that's just the actual construction of EV batteries. It's worth remembering that the mining of raw materials used in EV batteries is also incredibly destructive, largely due to unsustainable, unethical, and environmentally hostile mining practices. So you don't get that story from Brandon. You know, they don't, uh, government doesn't tell you that uh, this is what's going on. So if you're, if you're a good environmentalist, if you have your eco-conscious lifestyle, as this article says, you know, in good conscience, you know, you really got to think about the mining of it. You know, I'm thinking like slave labor in Africa, for example. Then it says all this contributes to an electric vehicle initially having a much larger carbon footprint than an equivalent gas-powered car. In fact, some researchers have argued that the construction of EV batteries can add almost 40% in extra production emissions. Okay, so putting aside the fact that these people have completely, you know, missed the point that we need more carbon dioxide in the air, uh, the best and most efficient way to get more carbon dioxide in the air is the burning of organic fuels. That way there's no child slave labor, there's no harsh mining conditions for lithium, cobalt, and uh, all these other you know, rare earth materials, they're all, they're all owned by China anyway, as uh, one of the senators, Josh Hawley, I think, pointed out on the Senate the other day. And so you've got all this, um, this horrible stuff associated with electric cars. Well, we could easily, you know, uh, do our best with China to be more competitive in the world by simply uh, having, a, having a tax on electric cars and electric car batteries coming in from China. I would, in fact, we're going to write a bill here pretty soon. It's, it's my long list of things to do uh, that has a $25,000 hazmat fee on electric car batteries. And that would include, uh, and that to cover the cost of uh, damaging the art of the environment. <laughs> you know, maybe we could donate that money to the countries that are mining the, the stuff. That'd be interesting. So you want to pay for that? Why not? Why don't we have an electric car tax? You know, have a, have a, uh, um, have a battery tax have a hazardous materials battery fee when you buy a car. So if you added $25,000 to the cost of an electric car to pay for the, uh, the, the proper, the safe and effective, <laughs> sorry about that, disposal of the electric car, car battery, would you buy one? Hmm, maybe not. So, the, so, the, so in truth, we need to, to add costs to the cost of electric vehicles to make up for all the subsidies. So that's what we should do. So if they have a $7,500 subsidy now, then we need to have, in the Trump administration, we need to have a $7,500 tax before buying an electric vehicle. Oh, wouldn't that be interesting? And that would include the resale. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just having fun here. Here's number two, carbon cost of shipping electric vehicles. There's also carbon emissions associated with shipping parts for vehicles and also shipping vehicles themselves. Unfortunately, this is a reality for most products, not just electric cars. 
If you order something that is produced outside of your general vicinity, it is most likely transported to you using some form of vehicle that burns, I'm going to say it again, organic fuels. It can be by boat, plane, truck, or car. There is always a carbon cost. So again, carbon's good, but they don't see it that way, but that's the article. They say the carbon cost increases depending on the complexity and resources used in the production of any given product. For an electric car, the carbon cost of transportation is not limited to just moving the vehicle from one place to another. It also includes the movement of raw materials and the various components, most of which are constructed in facilities that are separate from factories where the car is put together. In all, the carbon emissions associated with transporting electric vehicles is second only to the carbon cost of an EV battery. This is fascinating. So whereas uh, if an American car made with American steel, American plastic, American carbon fiber, you know, American copper wire, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's pretty much stuff, stuff we can do here uh, in this country. But these electric cars seem to be a consortium of uh, international countries and, and really dangerous practices that have to put all these things together. Hmm. Truth number three, carbon cost of charging electric vehicles. But there's a third carbon cost pillar associated with electric vehicles, and that is how you charge such a vehicle. The main problem with charging electric vehicles is that they most often pull power from the electric grid, which in most of the United States is predominantly powered by, you guessed it, organic fuels. As such, most electric vehicles are still burning organic fuels, just doing it during the refueling stage of a drive and not during the drive itself. So isn't that interesting? So, so they classify it. So if you're, if you're charging your vehicle uh, and refueling it, you're actually refueling it with organic fuels coal, oil, natural gas, uh, and uranium. And so uh, I don't know why they call it fossil fuels. Do you really think that all that fuel comes from fossils? You know, you watch Jurassic Park. You know what a fossil is, right? You know, the white dinosaur bones locked in rock way underground. Do you think that's powering our society? No. It's biomass, algae, and uh, all kinds of plant life that's through carbon dioxide absorbed, you know, into the plants, you know, put underground for however long it takes to compress and heat them up to turn the, that plant and algae and biomat mud and everything else an organic thing into uh, petroleum. Uh, and, and then we, but we have to release the carbon dioxide from that again into the atmosphere to complete the carbon cycle. So I would say the driving, I, I think you should get a subsidy for a gasoline vehicle to replace the carbon dioxide that was lost, you know, over the millennia. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? Why don't we, uh, I should put that right there down here. Gas, uh, you know, let's, let's, call, let's call it organic Organic fuel, CO2 restoration, isn't this fun? Restoration, subsidy. (laughs) I'm going to put that in my bill, subsidy. So in other words, gasoline powers get subsidized. Oh, but Greg, you can't do that. It's bad for the environment. No, it's actually good for the environment. We'll die without carbon dioxide. Get over it. All right. What else does it say here? The main problem with charging electric vehicles is that they most often pull power from the electric grid. Okay, I already said that. For instance, if an owner of an electric vehicle gets all of their residential energy from solar, wind, or other renewable sources, and if they also charge their car using energy from these renewable sources, uh, then they will have significantly reduced emissions associated with charging the vehicle. Um, That's nice. But uh, then the cost of, of creating those renewable resources. What's renewable about um, the wind generators, the metal that goes into them? You know, the fact that the whales are dying and the dolphins are dying wherever they put these wind farms. Uh, rumor has it they're going deaf and uh, they can't locate and they can't find food and they're disoriented and it's killing them. 
and they're washing up on shore. And so all you, you know, good environmentalists, environmentalists want to save the whales, you know, stop putting electric wind generators offshore because you're killing the whales. On land, they kill the, the birds of prey, our, our golden eagles, bald eagles, fox, falcons, things like that are all getting killed by these things. The tips of those blades, you know, you see a, a propeller move. I don't think it's moving fast, but the tip of those blades is going up to 200 miles an hour. Okay. Depending on the, the larger the, the windmill, the faster that tip is going. And that's why it's killing the birds. It's not killing the birds at the, at the base of the, of the wind generator where it's moving like maybe five miles an hour, but way out there at the end. You know, you know, pi r squared. Okay, use your formulas, right? Uh, you know, circumference of a circle. You know, that's, um, that's, that's, you know, and calculate the velocity at where it's turning, and then you multiply whatever factor for the distance out there, the, 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 the uh, distance vector. You know, you get the speed of those things. I've read about 200 miles an hour uh, for the bigger wind generators. There you go. So that's, uh, so yeah, but the problem is, and so, so why do they think of solar and wind as renewable? Petroleum is renewable too. I mean, the earth makes oil. It just does. All right? It makes oil, oil shale, oil granite, oil, all kinds of things. There's, there's plenty of petroleum under the earth. It's renewable. All right? Now, I don't think it's as renewable as I thought originally with the abiotic oil that actually, you know, generates pretty spontaneously. It's renewable. It takes time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how long, thousands, millions of years, I don't know how long it takes. But uh, all the plant material that uh, for, for the, the, the millions of, the, of years that earth's been around, you know, and I, I, you know, I know some folks believe the earth was created 6,000 years ago. I, no, no, sorry. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk to God about that one sometime. Um, but uh, no, the earth's been around a long time because it takes a long time to make this stuff. And so the earth does make oil. It just takes a long time. So oil is, in fact, renewable. But because we have such a long supply, 500 years, you know, as I said before in the show, we're going to have so many different sources of energy in the next 50 years, let alone the next 500 that don't worry about burning the oil now. Besides, we need to burn the oil to put the carbon dioxide back. All right, that's it. Okay, there's more of this article, but I'm, I've had enough of this one. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one. So the next one, is, uh, this is from the National Motorist Association blog. Uh, this is National, yeah, National Motorist Association. That's different than AAA. This is the, the NMA, the National Motorist Association. And their article from June 5th, 2022, uh, which, uh, no comments. I guess I have to make a comment. How much fossil fuel does it take to power an electric car? That's what the title says. So let me replace it once again with organic. How much organic fuel does it take to power an electric car? Let's find out. Millions of Americans are suffering the consequences of the Brandon insurrection, my words, dysfunction, their words, <laughs> at the gas pump. Prices are at record highs, and some people are considering electric cars as an option to reduce their use of organic fuels. That electricity has to come from somewhere, though. Wind and solar can only supply up to 18% of the U.S. energy needs. Let me say that again. Wind and solar can only supply up to 18% of the U.S. energy needs. So where does the rest of the electric power come from? I'll give you one guess. This is the answer. Natural gas and organic fuels, my word, including coal and nuclear energy. It says instead of investing, see, you, you can't call, I'm sorry, folks, uranium is not a fossil fuel. <laughs> uranium is a radioactive uh, element that's created in the earth, you know, um, by a process I don't know yet. I haven't, figured, I haven't, I haven't researched it. I'm going to find out. I'm going to write that down, question for myself. How is uranium? How is uranium created? Yeah, it's mined from the planet Uranus. I don't think so. Or is it pronounced Uranus for the politically correct? <laughs> we'll worry about that later. Of all the things to name a planet, I mean, please. 
Saturday Night Live, Brown 25, another product from, anyway. Instead of investing, here we go, back to the article. Instead of investing in American energy, the government has actively suppressed the American energy industry and then told Americans to spend their savings on overpriced electric cars to solve their problems. But let's be honest about the environmental and financial costs of these trendy electric vehicles. How much organic fuel does it take to power electric cars? To advance the climate agenda and deflect backlash about rising gas prices, the federal government is telling Americans that driving electric cars is for the greater good. Now, you know what I think of the greater good? That's just, that's just a, a pseudonym for communism. The greater good is the sum total of individuals making free choices unencumbered by government. That is the greater good. Okay, let's see what uh, looks like uh, Marco has posted a car picture here. Let's see. Oh, the, the new Lancia Delta. Let's take a look at that. All right. So this time I'm actually going to look at the website. <laughs> you know, I'll put it at the end of my electric car chain. I've got like six articles on this thing. Let's see what car Marco has, uh, has found for us here from uh, the Netherlands. I love car. We're going to do more car shows here. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. The Lancia Delta. That's nice. I mean, it's okay. Marco, have you seen the new Lamborghini? Or the, or the the new, I think, Bugatti. I mean, let's talk cars here. Besides, I, I, I'm a classic person. I like the Jaguar FKE, 1961 Corvette, the 67, um, the 67 Pontiac Firebird, um, the uh, just the classics, the Trans Am, you know, American cars. Damn it, American cars. Not as big on the 57 Chevy. It's too big, but I like and the 57 T-Bird. too small. 57, the people were shorter. Give me these cars. 60s cars are my favorites. Uh, and then, of course, the, uh, the, the Magnum PI uh, Ferrari. I think it's the 308 GTI. So one of those. So I get a GTI. I get a uh, Jaguar XK, 61 Corvette, 67 Pontiac Firebird. Um, I'll be happy. <laughs> and the, uh, I think a 1970s um, BMW 2000 CSI. The really cool coupe with the, sort of like the raked grille, the, the beautiful front end to it, uh, the wood interior and uh, wood panel on the leather interior. Okay, <laughs> someday. <laughs> All right, let's get back to uh, get back to my article here. Uh, here we go. So, investing in energy. All right, to advance climate agenda. I already read that. All right. This is, oh, maybe I didn't read this one. This is how much how much organic fuel does it take to power electric cars? To advance the climate agenda and deflect backlash about rising prices, the federal government is telling. Oh, there we go. Greater good. Oh, that's what got me going. The greater good. Yeah, there's no such thing. The greater good is what you decide individually. That's the greater good. Okay. Of the environment, fully knowing the charge stations for these cars are not organic fuel free. So if electric cars are on the electric grid and only 18% of the electric grid is solar and wind, that means that uh, 18, that would be 82 you know, uh, percent of the electric grid is everything else. In other words, organic fuels. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, great. It says, in reality, one of Tesla's supercharger stations was reported to receive 13% of its energy from natural gas and 27% from coal. <laughs> power plants burn coal to generate electricity to power electric cars and emit a higher organic fuel footprint than the left would care to admit. Yeah, if your coal is like the worst, I'm not a big fan of coal. It takes a lot to scrub it clean. There's a lot of nitrogen monoxide and sulfur monoxide, which form, when mixed with water vapor, nitric acid and sulfuric acid. That's the old acid rain. Um, So coal is, I think, one of the least efficient ways of doing it. Um, No car burns coal, except unless you want to go back to the Stanley steamer. So coal is like the worst way, I think, of all the fossil fuels. I'm sorry. 
I misspoke. Of all the organic fuels, coal is like the least attractive and the, the most destructive uh, and the most polluting. However, if you, you know, take uh, petroleum you know, from, from the source through a pipeline to a refinery, from a pipeline, you know, through another pipeline to the gas station and it's put directly in your vehicle, there's no power lost in that, in that process. When, when petroleum travels on a pipeline, it doesn't lose any of its energy. But when electricity travels on a, through a power line, it does lose electricity. Hear that crackling noise when you drive on by? <laughs> you know, or have you ever take a fluorescent light bulb and hold it up you know, near, near a really big high-tension line and it lights up? That's wasted electricity. It's leaking. You know, pipelines, they get, they get after pipelines. If they leak, they fix them. But electric power lines leak all the time. So how much extra power are we generating to create, you know, electric fuel? But it is. Electric fuel for electric cars is now being wasted because all the power lines leak. Nobody talks about that. What, what's, what's the leaking footprint? <laughs> you know, I mean, I just think of these things, all right? So anyway, then it says, uh, this is, our consumers being fed false information about going green with electric cars. Well, obviously, yes. Uh, says many people who invest in these high-priced cars are able to avoid paying the currently outrageous gas prices. However, Americans need to know what happens if they rely solely on electric cars, the batteries they require, and how will it increase our dependence on countries as, such as China, 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 for rare earth. Chinese companies have secured most of these rare earth minerals and raw materials that go inside these batteries. See, China told Brandon, and to push electric cars. Obama's pushing him just because he's Obama. Brandon's pushing him because he makes money on it. You know, and so uh, why would you buy, why would you subsidize? I mean, subsidizing electric cars is subsidizing China. It just is. Well, that's stupid. Anyway, the Chinese dominance in the market has stirred fears in Washington that Detroit could someday be rendered obsolete and that Beijing could control American driving in the 21st century much like how the Middle East and OPEC previously controlled our markets as the main oil-producing nations in the past. Yeah, when you have an oil embargo, that's bad, and we don't have gasoline for our cars. But the problem with electricity is they can be controlled at the meter. So with gasoline, if it's available, you can buy it. You know, if you've got the money, you can buy it. But electricity, you can have all the money in the world. If they shut off your meter, yeah, you can, no way you can buy it because the utilities are government-controlled as opposed to the oil companies that are private. See, that's the difference. See, I'd have all the electric companies as private, too. <laughs> that would be really interesting. Well, it's a natural monopoly, Greg. It would be inefficient. Oh, really? You think it's efficient now? <clears throat> Back to the article. By increasing our use of electric cars, the United States will require more lithium batteries, and this will force us to further rely on China to sustain battery supply. This current, strategy, current energy crisis could be an opportunity for America to increase our energy independence. The current administration excuse me, insurrection, refuses to take advantage of, of this to lower prices at the pump and electric costs. Biden's electric vehicle plan is a big win for China and not for the USA. We have proven in the past that we are capable of becoming energy independent and profiting from American-made energy. Hey, wh- why don't you say that was in the Trump administration, the one we voted for? But they don't say that. The Brandon insurrection, my words, has no plan to shift gears away from China's mass energy production, even as China continues to push the rigid green standards that hold our own producers back and make China massive amounts of money. China's responsible for the green energy plan? That would be interesting. Then it says, as long as the United States continues to outsource production and jobs to China, it will be hardworking Americans who suffer the economic consequences of our energy dependence. Bottom line, how much fossil fuel, excuse me, organic fuel is required to power an individual electric car? This depends on where you live. Uh, it goes some more things here. Okay, I'm going to sort of leave it here. 
Uh, oh, actually, it's almost over. Almost done. This depends on where you live. For example, in California, where solar power is the dominant renewable power source, uh, it should be wind because it's kind of windy there too. It's just changing your car at uh, charging your car at night uh, roughly doubles the amount of, of uh, organic fuel used uh, compared to charging during the day. 95% of electric cars are charged at night. Wait a minute. Let me think about that. Charging your electric car at night doubles the amount of, of organic fuel use compared to during the day, probably because they don't generate as much power at night because they don't need it. This is the source of organic fuels in an electric car comes through the larger power grid across America. In order to charge your electric car, you have to plug it into the power grid. So in that sense, your toaster, hairdryer, phone charger, etc., all use organic fuels too. There's so much more to discuss. Please, oh, okay, there we go. Interesting, huh? Oh, Scientific American. I've got this the third article. I don't know how many of these I'll get to. I might have to do this tomorrow too. We'll see. We'll see. I want to get all of them uh, on recording. So tomorrow might be Electric Cars Part 2. Oh, this is the back to uh, Marco. The Lancia has a button on the steering wheel. Uh, it starts blinking the lights. Uh, the button reads uh, Levate, which means get out of the way. Yeah, that's the Autobahn, right? So uh, so in, in uh, Germany, I guess the, the Netherlands have the Autobahns too. So the Autobahns don't have a speed limit. And as I understand it, I've never driven on one, uh, but as I understand it, um, you know, the Porsches, Mercedes, and the, and the BMWs, the fast cars, you know, they're in the outside lane. And if you're in the way, you know, and uh, the way it works is that if you're slower traffic, you're in the middle, you know, and if you're exiting or entering, you're in the, the right lane. But the left lanes, you know, it's unlimited speed. So you can get around Germany pretty fast. Um, no Autobahn, but I live. Okay, so yeah. So is um, when one travels from Netherlands to Germany, is there much of a border? Do you have to go through customs and immigration every time you go through? Is there a border checkpoint? Or, or is it like a, like a pass, like a European Union common market pass, the transport thing where you can just zip in and out of different countries? Because you've got France, uh, Germany, uh, Belgium, Holland, uh, you know, pretty close together. Luxembourg, they're all sort of in the area. You can drive 200 kilometers on the right lane, uh, and if you want to change lanes, look far back. Uh, with 300 kilometers an hour. What's 300? What's that in miles an hour? 300 kilometers per hour has got to be no border. Oh, Shen, Schengen Accord. So there's no border. Oh, so you just drive back and forth. Well, that's interesting. Of course, there's always Interpol to check out the, the really bad people. So yeah, so 200 kilometers an hour, that's like 120, I'm guessing. 300 kilometers an hour is probably, I don't know, 180 miles an hour? That's fast. Oh, we've got a Schengen agreement. Okay, well, I'll get to that in a bit. Um, yeah, we need a conversion factor. So uh, if you can convert for us Americans that are still in the English system, 200 kilometers and 300 kilometers per hour, I'm going to take another quick break here. Play some more stuff. And, and I'll play another music selection at the end of a couple of my, uh, uh, my ads here. So it is now 8.03. We've, uh, this is the second hour of the show. And third hour, we've got uh, CJ with CJ's Wellness uh, Weekend Report. No, CJ's Wellness. What do we call it? Hang on, program notes here. CJ's Wellness Watch. <laughs> Sorry, CJ, <laughs> if you're listening. All right, what do we got here now? Okay, back in a bit. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive. 
conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis, creator of Action Radio for my town, Milton, Florida. Milton, it's where I live. It's where you can live too. It's where you can bring a new business, especially a business that helps our downtown historic district. We have everything in Milton. We have the Blackwater River. We have the Imogene Theater, built in 1912 and still booking national acts. We have Scoop's Ice Cream. We have Boomerang's Restaurant, where I get my favorite Thai chicken pizza. We have an outdoor stage for music acts and free concerts by the river. The Blackwater Bistro will keep you in steak and seafood indefinitely. We have brew pubs creating great craft beers and giving us all a place to relax and talk. But it's more than just stuff and food and buildings. It's people. Remember the show Cheers where everybody knows your name? It's that kind of place. So if you're tired of the cities, of the traffic, the frenetic pace of life that doesn't seem to get you anywhere, if you want a small city that has incredible potential, that combines the best of historic buildings and modern, fun, small retail shops and restaurants, and a great waterfront, plus who knows what for the future, take a look at historic Milton, Florida, in the Panhandle, near Pensacola, and the world's greatest beaches on the Emerald Coast of the Gulf of Mexico. Milton is going through a renaissance. Maybe you can be part of making it happen. So I actually made this for the uh, Santa Rosa County Chamber of Commerce in the city of Milton, and they haven't used it yet. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it's there. You know, anybody wants to, uh, you know, uh, I have a YouTube of that available. So if anybody wants to uh, do that to help uh, Milton the Historical Society, who also has it, any folks, you know, this is why I do the things I do. It's all part of my community service here to, uh, to Milton. All right, now this is what I play at the end of Wednesday's show. So Marcus given me uh, more things to do. He's got a YouTube I have to watch after the show too. So uh, Mark, I really appreciate you being on the show here. This is great. So Marco's in the Netherlands, um, somewhere near the German border, and uh, I'm live here. But our our, uh, our Skype line is now working again. So if anybody wants to use the Skype line to call in, uh, I just have to screen the call real quickly. I'll play another you know of my multiple things that I have to play here. Marco, are you enjoying the music of our little musical selections I have uh, from each show? Uh, I think this is kind of fun. You know, adds a little. Uh, a little touch of the classics um, to our, our show here for the all-encompassing entertainment uh, and news informative experience that we have. So I've been over the articles real quickly during the little break I had there. <clears throat> and what I'm going to do is I've cut a couple of the articles out so I can actually do a better job with three articles than I could um, with, um, you know, five articles in, in the course of the next 50 minutes until CJ gets here. And then she can talk because I've had enough. I'm sure you've had enough of me, too. So I found an article in Scientific American. No, is it the Heritage Foundation? I'm sorry. Scientific Americans next. Uh, did, I, uh, did I skip one? Um, actually, I think I read. Well, let's, let's do this one. This one looks more interesting. I'll get these two, then I'll check them back. I think the Scientific American one is, is pretty similar. It says electric cars are not necessarily clean. We know that. So let me go about Let's talk about money. So the Heritage Foundation, June 24th of 2019, by Nicholas Loris, L-O-R-I-S, uh, former Deputy Director Thomas A. Rowe Institute, uh, economist who focused on energy, environmental, and regulatory issues as, as the Herbert and Joyce Morgan Fellow. Do I get to be a fellow one day? I want to be a fellow at the foundation. Can I, can I get a, a, a grant for Action Radio? <laughs> can, 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 I, can I be the, the Action Radio Senior Fellow? <laughs> I think I am the Action Radio Senior Fellow. I think I'm the old swimmer. No, Pianchi's older. Um, by how much, we don't know. He hasn't told me. All right. Electric cars owned by few, subsidized by all. Yeah, that's like uh, mass transit in California. You know, people in, in rural, uh, living in rural villages in California, part of their tax goes to pay for the San Francisco BART system. That's criminal. All right, Marco, I'm going to for a little bit. I'll block, your, block the live chat for a bit while I do this. Um, so, so if you post things, I'll get to it after I, uh, I'll check after each article. I'll just kind of see where I am here. All right. So this one says, Nicholas Loris says, imagine one day, it says, I imagine one day that your rich friend, Becky <laughs> FaceTimes you. <laughs> I love this. It's a great time. I imagine one day that your rich friend, Becky FaceTimes you from San Francisco to show off her brand new luxury car. Congrats to Becky. She works hard for a living and she's earned that brand new whip. 
But then when collecting your next paycheck, you notice Uncle Sam took part of your earnings to pay for Becky's car. To make matters worse, the next time you go to fill up your 15-year-old sedan at the gas station, you notice an extra charge at the pump to help pay for Becky's fuel. That's not a fair system, but it's what's happening with electric vehicle subsidies. See, this is one of the biggest problems for me. So this is why I'm going to be writing a, a massive electric car tax bill. Because we've got to reverse these subsidies. We have to end them. This is criminal. Uh, it says both federal and state governments have generous handouts to vehicles. The federal tax credit extends to up to $7,500. That's like about a third of the average income per year. <laughs> That's a pretty big subsidy. And this is, again, this is uh, 2019. So it's a, it's a few years old, but not that old. June. This is right before COVID. <laughs> okay, it's interesting. All right. So $7,500 that. It says throw in state subsidies, and that figure quickly topped $10,000. $10,000. Can I get that in like a tax credit? You know, if you're going to give it to electric car people, then, then everybody should get it. Okay. So, what the, so this is why subsidies are illegal. They're unconstitutional because they violate uh, the equal protection of the laws. So you're giving some people special protection from taxes uh, and giving special subsidies to people. Well, that's unconstitutional. Right? You got to treat all Americans equally. So this is illegal. That's the same reason we went over earlier why CBDCs, central bank uh, digital currencies, are unconstitutional because they violate the Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, and Seventh Amendments to the Constitution. If you haven't read those lately, it might be a thing to do. But since I go over them in the show, just listen to my previous show, you get all that information. Then it says, furthermore, the article says, utilities that stand to benefit from drivers plugging in for fuel are spending tens of millions of dollars on EV charging stations and billing the cost back to the tax to the ratepayers. And let's not forget, EV drivers don't pay any gas tax, which is literally highway robbery since the federal gas tax is supposed to pay for the interstate highway system. Yeah, we need to uh, totally reverse. Now, here's the thing, too. Electric, uh, uh, electric power companies, you know, uh, these power stations, they should all be paid for privately. By the, you know, well, of course, you pay for it by the utilities, they'll raise the cost of electricity. But in the same way, the, the oil companies, you know, have to pay for their gas stations. So I have a problem with the utilities paying for it, you know, and if you object to that and the, the electric bill goes too high, then you can complain. But what I do object to is standalone tax dollars. Like I think Milton uh, had a proposal, the city of Milton had a proposal to subsidize electric charging stations. We all said, no, no, if, if, if electric utility wants to build a charging station, that's fine. No problem there. You know, the ratepayers pay it. And if you don't like it, then you, uh, you know, either use elect less electricity, buy your power somewhere else, or, you know, keep your gasoline engine. <laughs> if you want to lower your electric bill, if you want to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, cut back on electricity to the power companies and their money, buy gasoline-powered cars, diesel cars. Pretty simple. Anyway, so the electric cars get a huge subsidy. Then it says, Heritage says, who's benefiting from this government-forced benevolence? The people who need help from other taxpayers and taxpayers the least, uh, taxpayers and ratepayers the least. According to research from the University of California at Berkeley, <laughs> liberal bastion, 90% of the tax credits accrue to America's top income quintile. That'd be like the top 20%. As uh, a May 2019 Congressional Research Service report found that the nonpartisan Congressional Research Service <laughs> report found that 78% of the tax credit recipients had an adjusted gross income of $100,000 or more. So you want to talk about, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the left is always talking about taxing the rich. Well, actually, they're taxing the poor to pay for the rich. This is reverse Robin Hood. That's <laughs> what it is. This is nearly half of all EV sales reside in, uh, reside in one state, California. 
Nearly half of all electric vehicle sales reside in one state, California. Count uh, these subsidies as other case concentrating benefits to the elite and dispersing the costs among the rest of the Americans. Yeah. As currently structured, the federal tax credit applies to the first 200,000 electric vehicles per manufacturer, and then a phase-out of the credit begins. Two automakers, Tesla and GM, reach that threshold and are in the phase-out stage. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and this is back 2019, so hopefully they're through the phase-out stage now. Senator Debbie Stabenow, Democrat of Michigan, is leading the charge to extend a $7,000 tax subsidy for an additional 400,000 vehicles per manufacturer. Other policymakers want to list the cap altogether and extend the tax credit permanently. Some uh, iteration could wind up uh, in a larger tax extenders package. I'll have to check what the current uh, tax is, subsidies on electric cars when I write my bill. Um, The setup of the per manufacturer cap flex an infant industry justification to help a new technology with some taxpayer-funded training wheels. Uh, then uh, a ride on its own, increasing or lifting the cap delegitimizes the original intent of the tax credit. Even so, the, the infant industry argument is bogus in the first place. As economist Milton Friedman said, the so-called infants never grow up because companies become dependent on the preferential treatment from Washington. Alleged temporary credits instead become permanent fixtures in the tax code. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So not only was it, th- this should have been illegal to start with, I'm surprised the Supreme Court case hasn't been brought. Uh, against electric car subsidies by gasoline power, by gasoline uh, automakers. You know, why hasn't GM, Ford, and Chrysler lined up at the Supreme Court uh, saying that this is a, a discriminatory special interest uh, subsidy um, that isn't to all, ta- all cars? Now, see, if they did it to all cars, it would be okay. If they subsidize all car purchases with $10,000, what's the first thing the car companies would do? Raise the cost of cars $10,000. <laughs> we know how that works, right? Um, so, yeah, so that doesn't work. But the, the, the actual fact, there should be no subsidies of any kind. But at least it would be constitutional if subsidies applied to all car manufacturers, regardless of, of uh, how they fuel them. Okay? But the best, of course, is, is no, you know, put, no input in the market whatsoever. In fact, I don't know. There would be something. Maybe we should write an overall bill. This would be a big one. You know, uh, I don't know if it would be a constitutional thing or how we do it. You know, government can not subsidize. And this would be agricultural price supports too. Subsidize, subsidize any commercial or business operation. You guys have a better title for that? Let me know. Commercial, commercial business Business, product, or service? Product or service. This is how I actually legislate right on the show. Government cannot, I've written this so badly, I hope I can read it at the end of the day, cannot subsidize, that's a D, subsidize any commercial, business, product, or service. Let's see if we can save that for later, too. Yeah, that'd be interesting. We'll take all the subsidies out. I want to do one for, for agriculture, but it might be, might be better to do it for all, all things. Anyway, it says, uh, the next thing they say is, in addition, the market already provides plenty of economic opportunity for alternative fuel technologies. Collectively, Americans spend more than $300 billion per year on gas. Globally, both the electricity and the transportation fuels markets are multi-trillion dollar markets. That's more than enough incentive for an infant industry to turn into a giant, and quite quickly, if they have a good product. So there's plenty of money out there for, for fuel. People drive, you know, all the trucks and the commercial trucks and all the private vehicles out there and, and everything else that's, that's on the road. It's a lot of stuff. 
multi-trillion dollar industry. So if electric cars are better and can compete better than gasoline and diesel vehicles, let them. You know, the reason we don't have Stanley steamers anymore because steam cars are not efficient or practical. But they are, however, very fast. You know, so maybe, uh, maybe they seem to have a truck steam engine, <laughs> you know. But the reason that trains went from steam to diesel because it was, it was better. That's the reason trucks went, you know, the trucks are diesel. Diesel is a great fuel. Anyway, it says an extension of the EV, that's electric vehicle tax, credit would be terrible for most American families. The extension would be massively expensive. The Stabenow extension alone could cost taxpayers as much as $16 billion over the next 10 years, according to a recent study by Ernst & Young. Yeah, great accounting firm. Uh, what's the other one? Deloitte & Touche? <laughs> I always like that name. You see, you ever go to a big city and you, and you look on uh, the elevators, they always have an Ernst & Young accounting firm and they have a Deloitte & Touche. I just like saying it because it's funny. You want to work for Touche? Oh, yeah, okay. What's that, ZZ Top song? Anyway. Then it says, the direct cost is just a small part of the overall economic harm. Extending the tax credit would continue to take decision rights away from car buyers and perpetuate the federal government's authority to nudge consumers to use the technology or fuel source of its choice. See, that's the problem. You cannot have a free market if the government is, is uh, you know, forcing or incentivizing you in a particular direction or mandating you. you know. So in other words, either by force or by price, uh, they're, they're tipping the market. And that's, that should be illegal. Then it says, each time the government presses its thumbs on the scales of production and consumption, it disempowers car buyers and obstructs innovation. Yeah. You know, it's the more government, everything government does, the more it does, especially what it's not supposed to do, the worse things get. Then it says, besides, having captive ratepayers cover the cost of recharging infrastructure through higher electricity bills for all ratepayers makes no sense. Some states are requiring utilities to put forth plants to do so. That'd be interesting. If, if someone wants to charge an electric car, it has to come from an electric car plant. Ooh, that's an interesting. We'll call it separation of powers. <laughs> Sorry. We'll call this you know, big star here. Separation of powers. Separation of powers. Oh, this would be interesting. Electric cars have to be charged from electric car plants. Electric cars. Cars have to be charged. What do you guys think of that one? Have to be charged. From separate electric power plants. From separate. I, mean, I should be. I should write. I should do this on my keyboard, but I'll, I'll probably reach around the the microphone and cut off the show. Separate. Hang on. Almost done. Electric car power plants. There you go. Electric car power plants. That would separate it up. Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> You know, so if electric car, if all those electric charging stations, so in other words, you have to, see, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, you can't pay for your, your gasoline powered car at home. You can't charge up your, you can't go keep a bunch of gas. Well, I guess you could keep a bunch of, I think farms do it, but uh, we don't, um, we don't charge our, oh, this is interesting. I think I'm onto something here. Marco, what do you think of this? I'll see what he says. Um, for a gasoline powered car, you go to a gas station to get your fuel. Well, that comes from an oil refinery. So why shouldn't people with electric cars have to go to a charging station, not in their home, but a charging station um, that uh, comes from a specific electric power plant designed only to charge electric vehicles? Oh, would that be interesting? Separate power lines, separate infrastructure, separate separate everything. Oh, that would really raise the cost of electric cars. (laughs) But why not? 
if, if they do it for gasoline-powered cars, why not electric? So then what you do is you mandate you know, a, a different plug that cannot be plugged into your home. So you have, you have an electric uh, plug on electric cars that can only be used at an electric car charging station that comes from a specific electric power plant. Hmm. This is possibilities. All right, let me get back to my article here. This is kind of fun. <laughs> I like doing this on the air, brainstorming. It's really kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, I'm enjoying this. Okay, then it says, besides having captive rate pairs, okay, but economically viable technologies overcome the chicken and egg problem all the time. Here we go. Consumers wouldn't buy cell phones if there were no cell phone towers. Cell phones used to be a luxury item 20 years ago, and now more than 5 billion people own them. The same can happen with EVs and charging stations if automakers produce cars people want to buy without help from Washington. Polling consistently shows that electric vehicle subsidies are wildly unpopular and the overwhelming majority of Americans don't even want to give a nickel to pay for someone else's car purchase. Absolutely right. Extending the tax credit and increasing the cap would be an economic and political loser. Congress should pump the brakes on, the, on this cronious handout that benefits the elite. Yeah, so, but to see the, the gelding old party, the Republicans, they don't frame it that way because they're stupid. You know, here we go. Uh, I forgot here. I got another article. Let's talk about the gas tax. That's going to be one. Consumer reports in the gas tax. Get to that in a bit. It is now 825. As I run through my second hour monologue, take a little break here. Yeah. So what haven't I played for you yet? Scroll back up at the top. Uh, here we go. Let's play this. I'll play a couple things. Then I'll play my, my Thursday musical selection as we go through. And then I get to Friday. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener. And help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, 
to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. And this is what I play at the end of Thursday's show.
So I wonder why that one's the longest of uh, of the bunch. Uh, it could they could easily do a minute one on that one, but they seem to have extended it uh, even further. So I got a couple of uh, a couple ones left here uh, to go over, and this one is from Consumer Reports. This is without a gas tax, how will electric vehicles be charged for road use? Oops, Devin Pratt, uh, May second, twenty twenty two. Infrastructure upgrades could hit a roadblock without taxpayer money. Yeah, see, the problem with electric vehicles is like bicycles. You know, so bicycles should pay a city tax for riding on the roads in, in cities. You know, anytime anytime there's a bike lane in a city, there should be a bike charge. Well, because they're taking up space, that could be used by cars. <laughs> you know, and I don't mind bikes. I have no problem with bikes. But if you're going to use a bike lane, you know, and if the cars are paying a gas tax to support the roads, then bicycles have to pay uh, a bike tax to support the roads too. It's only fair. <gasps> but they're environmental. They're clean. I don't care. They're taking up space. It doesn't matter. Anyway, and they still, still ride on the same roads. I don't care how much, you know, how clean the bicycles are. That's not the point. The roads is what the point is. Uh, article says, although all states and the federal government rely on gas taxes to help pay for transportation projects and keep ro- projects could be anything, right? Sub- subways, you know, buses, you know, when they say transportation projects, it's a rather loose term. So since the federal government rely on gas, uh, state and federal governments rely on gas taxes to help pay for transportation projects and keep roads and highways in good condition. Fuel taxes account for 84% of federal and 29% of state highway funds. So, wait a minute, don't states get a lot of money from the federal government too? <laughs> now I'm really curious, right? So, fuel taxes account for 84% of federal and 29% of state funds. So, 84, 84, 84. That's, uh, okay, hang on, hang on. That, okay, there must be totally separate things then, because 84 and 29 is more than 100%. <laughs> okay, I'm just figuring it out. All right. This is, but where will the funding come from when more and more drivers switch to electric vehicles? Currently, see, this is another thing on our electric car tax bill. So what we're trying to find is a conversion factor. You know, if, if gas is 50 cents a gallon, gas tax, how much is the equivalent electricity for a gallon of gas? We need, so we, we need a, uh, this is a good thing for Marco. Marco's an engineer over in uh, um, Netherlands. How do I do a gasoline? Of course, you might do it by liter to kilowatt hour, but I can convert liters to gallons. But how would we get a conversion factor of of fuel to electricity? You know, and I guess you have to do it in terms of equivalent power generated, not necessarily the efficiency of the vehicles, because all vehicles have a different mileage rate, but they charge the same amount for gas, for a gallon of gas. So what is the equivalent energy to a gallon of gas in terms of electricity? That's my question. I have to find that out. Um, you know, so let me, I'm going to have to write a little note to myself here. Uh, gas to electricity conversion for tax. Big star. Gas to electricity conversion factor. Conversion. Convert. Taking a lot of notes today. I'm basically writing a bill as I'm talking to you guys. Conversion factor. But if I can find a conversion factor of how much gasoline is how much kilowatt hour or whatever it is, uh, then we can set an electric car tax that's equivalent to the gas tax. See how this works? We, we, we're really creative on this show. Nobody else does what we do. That's why it's so much fun. Then it says the road tax is built into the price of gas. That money goes to support road infrastructure, and EVs don't fuel up, so electric car drivers don't contribute in that way. And that's from Gabe Shenhar, S-H-E-N-H-A-R, Associate Director of the Consumer Reports Auto Test Program. The folks that use tra- crash test dummies. Now, Consumer Reports is, is famous for favoring, you know, Japanese cars over American. Anybody that's uh, read Consumer Reports for any length of time knows that they are horribly biased towards foreign imports uh, as opposed to American cars. But in this case, I think they're right. So, you know, we'll give credit where credit's due. They seem to have this one pretty much down. Um, maybe they don't like China. Who knows? I don't. <laughs> Not right now. 
this is a, this is for now, electric vehicles are a small portion of the market, but this is something to consider as EV sales increased from 2.1% in 2020 to 2.8% in 2021, uh, they're continuing to grow. He says there's a similar dilemma when it comes to hybrid vehicles. A hybrid that gets 50 miles per gallon contributes less in gas taxes than a car that gets 25 miles per gallon. Well, it depends how, often, how much they're driven. See, that's, a, that's maybe a false equivalency. So if a car gets more miles per gallon and is driven twice as much as a car that gets fewer miles per gallon, still use the word fewer just in case you missed that, all right. Then, then who's to say? This is why I say you need to. It's it's not the mileage of the car that matters. It's the it's the uh, the cost per per unit of gasoline. And the unit of gasoline we have here is the gallon. That's what we use at the fuel pump. So, what is the electric equivalent to a gallon of gasoline? How what's the equivalent amount of power generated for a gallon of gasoline? Once we find that out, we can set a gas. We can set an electric power tax, which could be added directly to the home electric bill. You know. So we need to. So if we can't uh, have separate power plants. We at least need separate metering. So there should be a separate. This might this might be a lot easier actually. Let me write again. Separate, separate power meter in home in home for electric cars. Oh, let's put EVs. I've run out of room. <laughs> So if you have a separate power meter, so in other words, when you plug your electric car in, that, that plug has on it a separate power meter uh, in your home. And that way, they could, uh, there'd be two costs. We could actually tax um, the money directly going into your, ve- the power going into your vehicle, because the only way you could charge your vehicle is with a special plug, and that special plug has a separate power meter on it. We got microchips. We can do this. This is easy. You know, this, 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 I think this might be an easier way to go, actually. You know, is that if we just have a separate power meter in your home, then, of course, you want to shut the cars, cars down. All I have to do is shut the electric meters down uh, that, that put the power in your electric car. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, sorry, can't go anywhere. We've got a brownout coming. Yep. You gasoline folks, yeah, we'd like to control you, but we can't. You know, that's why they want everything on electricity, so they can control every aspect of your life. If, they, if there's only one power source, and that power comes from the government, are you kidding? That's insane. I don't want one power source from the government. So I want natural gas uh, stoves. You know, and natural gas for anything anybody wants to to power, uh, coal, oil, uh, nuclear. I want all the electric op- uh, options we have, all the power options we have. That's freedom. That's what freedom is. In fact, in our Australian Bill of Individual Rights, we actually delineate that one of the rights is that you have a right to the power, um, you know, source of your choice. That's actually a right. You have a right to power. You have a right to oil. You have a right to uh, natural gas, a right to coal, a right to uranium, nuclear power. Yeah, and, they can, and the government cannot distinguish between them. They have to, you know, if, if the government's got the electric power supply, then they have to sell, supply the electricity. Otherwise, privatize the whole thing. It's probably a better idea anyway. Micropower. What if you had your own micro, micro power plants? You know, gasoline stations are very local. What if power plants were local too? What if one power plant, you know, only did a, one power plant per 10 square miles? I don't know. Why not? Article says some states have compensated for the loss for lost revenue by doubling the registration fees for electric vehicles. Well, that's interesting. Another approach is to increase tolls on roads and bridges with every driver paying the same toll, no matter what type of car they drive. Yeah, a lot of times electric cars got subsidies uh, or they didn't have to pay tolls. I remember the Golden Gate uh, and other bridges. You didn't have to pay toll if you had an electric car. That eventually, I think, went away, but I'm not sure. 
Then it says there are proposals for adding a tax to EV charging stations. Oh, there we go. So the drivers are paying when they fill up. That's, that's, uh, I want to see if that's actually in law because if it's already in law, then I don't, have to, I don't have to write a bill for it. That would be similar in spirit to what is done with gas power cars. The problem with that is EV drivers mostly charge their vehicles at home. States would be capturing that tax only when drivers charge at the public power stations. No, not if we put a separate meter in their home and a separate plug. Uh, where they, you know, like it's when, remember when they changed over, uh, and this is, this is precedent for this. As much as I hate precedent, I'll use it when, I, when it's convenient, right? So the precedent is for this um, when uh, we went to unleaded fuel from leaded, and they changed the size of the, the gasoline uh, cap uh, and the gasoline uh, port in your car, you know, the place where the, where the gasoline pump goes into, right? So remember that the leaded pumps were actually fairly big. They were a fairly wide diameter pump with a spring on it. It was kind of interesting. Uh, and then the newer unleaded pumps were actually smaller diameter. And so what they did was they made a smaller diameter uh, fueling port in your car, you know, under the gas cap, you know, so that you couldn't get the leaded fuel pump pumps into your smaller diameter unleaded fuel car. Well, why can't we do the same thing with electric? You change the plugs on the electric cars, you mandate, you know, different plugs. And if people start sneaking and doing conversion plugs, well, that's a black market. That'd be interesting too. Anyway, but the point is that we can... Uh, you have a separate power meter for your electric car, uh, and that should actually be metered by the utility. So they got all set up on the outside, and that meter leads to your electric plug, and away you go. All right, the smart meter. <laughs> then it's the problem that many EV owners are facing is that some states are taxing electric uh, vehicle drivers at rates much higher than average drivers paying gas taxes. Oh, that's interesting. Let me see that again. Uh, okay, so uh, oh, it says the additional fee at registration may be the easiest method of recouping some of the lost gas tax revenue. And that's from Kelly... Funkhauser, <laughs> got to pronounce that name right. Sorry, Kelly. Uh, F-U-N-K-H-O-U-S-E-R, manager of vehicle technology at Consumer Reports. Well, obviously, they like quoting themselves, which is interesting. Anyway, next paragraph. The problem that many EV owners are facing is that some states are taxing electric vehicle drivers at rates much higher than the average driver pays in gas taxes. Well, there you go. Effectively punishing drivers for choosing a zero emission alternative to traditional gas burning vehicles. Okay, there's no such thing as a zero emission alternative. That's a lie. We already covered that. You know, electric cars make tons of emissions right at the power plant. Uh, this is punishing drivers choosing. That said, some EV drivers benefit from a federal tax incentive that is up to $7,500. That's not an incentive, that's a subsidy. You should check to see if the EV vehicle you're considering qualifies. Yet into that. All right, there we go. Okay, all right, next article. I've got two more to go, I think. And then we're done. All right, so I read that one. I just did that one. Oh, one more to go. Okay, well, it makes sense. I've got 15 minutes left. So this should work. Anytime I have left over, I'll just play music <laughs> until CJ gets here because I've had enough. Uh, here we go. Electric vehicle, and this is from Restoring America. Now, this is something I need to follow up on. It's one of my many, it's on my, my huge to-do list, which is vast and always increases faster than I can get to things. Restoring America is a program from the Washington Examiner. So I'm going to write the editor of the Examiner. I got, to, got the email all ready to go. I just have to fill in, you know, like the details. Uh, and their whole program is, is to try and get us back to where we were, you know, great again, right? So I'm sure the Examiner is going to endorse Donald Trump, at least I hope so. We'll see what happens. But the, here, here's the things that get really interesting. I, I might face, face a little dilemma here. Uh, for example, uh, I support Trump for president, but if Bobby Kennedy starts endorsing, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr. starts endorsing all our bills here, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to have to support him because, <laughs> you know, because he's doing the right thing and getting us out there. So uh, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. To, oh, can I support both of them? Let's find out. 
<laughs> I'm the boss. I'll, t- I'll let you know. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so restoring America. Uh, Michael O'Reilly. Oh, sure, he's Irish. Michael O'Reilly, April 18th, 2023. So this is like, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Electric vehicle makers are threatening public safety. This is going to be interesting. Electric vehicles are more popular than ever uh, before uh, among consumers. That, that sounds like a bad English sentence. No, is that what, let me try and read that again. See if I can make English out of this sentence. Electric vehicles are more popular than ever before among consumers. Okay, let me just say more popular than ever. How about with consumers? <laughs> Can me rewrite your article? Then it says today there are an estimated 2.5 million electric vehicles on American roads, and the excitement of EVs potential has infected uh, certain policymakers who want to decree that EVs may uh, be the only permissible vehicles within their borders. That's what California is doing. We have to go all electric, even though they're powered by petroleum <laughs> at the power plant. This is, but the EV growth picture is not all rosy. Some automobile manufacturers of these vehicles are turning back the dial in a way that could affect public safety. A select group of EV producers is eliminating AM radio from the new vehicles. Well, that's interesting. Let me read that again. So this is, let me start this paragraph. It's kind of interesting, but the EV growth picture is not all rosy. Some automa- automobile manufacturers of these vehicles are turning back the dial in a way, well, actually eliminating the dial, you know, in a way that could affect public safety. A select group of EV producers is eliminating AM radio from new vehicles? Huh. Well, while there, are, there may very well be unspoken competitive reasons or financial deals in the mix, the company line given is that AM radio is incompatible with an electromagnetic interference generated from electric engines. Well, isn't that interesting? Creating an audible buzzing sound. So instead of trying to fix the issue, which would make sense, which several automakers have accomplished at uh, an infinitesimal cost, you know, in other words, really tiny, you know, at least eight manufacturers have decided to purge AM radio from the consoles of their EV models altogether. So all you radio folks, you know, that uh, wanted to have the drive time model, like some I know personally, <laughs> you know, uh, AM radio is obsolete in cars. Actually, that makes sense because you can still get traffic from your GPS. Um, in fact, I don't know how many people listen to AM radio for traffic anymore anyway. You know, I mean, you get it from, you, 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 plot, you take your GPS. That's what I used to do when I lived in San Francisco and I had a tour guide, you know, day of work. I'd, I'd check the, the route before I went because I had a choice of uh, a couple of different bridges. Actually, three, but the third one was a long way away. But I, I had the Oakland Bay Bridge and the San Mateo Bridge. So it wasn't much difference uh, in terms of distance, but it was huge in terms of if there was an accident on one of them. First thing you learn in the baby. So, for all those that are listening to the show, guess what happened? My signal cut out again. And so, Marco, it's not your fault. Uh, it literally just cut out. Now, the last time this happened, I think I have to replace my mic cord. That's generally because this is the second time this has happened. So, I've got to go to my cell phone, which means I have to put a stack of books under my cell phone so that I can talk to you. And actually sound like a coherent person. So, yeah, we're back on the cell phone. And so, Mark, how's it sound now? Audio is back. Yeah, it's back because, you know, uh, and, of course, I hate doing this because it doesn't sound as good. Because it's really a loud bird outside my window, too. So I'll tell, uh, I'll tell CJ when she calls in that uh, that's what we're doing here. So the, the advantage is I can still talk to you. The disadvantage is it, it sounds like crap because, you know, I really like my microphone. It saves my voice a lot more. So uh, as long as you guys can hear me adequately then they were okay so let me just see if i can get my mic just uh, my cell phone just a little bit higher there we go okay now we're set to go <laughs> sorry 
it's, it's a little complication here. All right, so let's get back to my article. And then um, once I get done with this, then uh, we'll get CJ, which is actually a good timing because she can talk more. Uh, but I'll listen to the show over cell phone. Uh, it says, uh, I don't know if it was, let me see if I can catch where I was. Uh, you know, back to eliminating AM radio. So this is interesting. This is while there may be, there will, all right, let's just catch up to where I was. In it, let me turn this sentence again. AM radio is an incompatible with an electromagnetic interference generated from electric engines, creating an audible buzzing sound. So instead of trying to fix the issue, they're trying to get rid of AM radio. So let's go to the next section. IRS plan for self-preservation comes at taxpayers' expense. Well, that's interesting. AM radio has a long and distinguished place in communications history. I, I actually, I like AM radio. You know, I broadcast on AM radio, WBY, right? It's that for almost 130 years it has, tra- it has informed and entertained listeners during some of the most critical and important moments in time. Despite other technological advances, AM radio still feeds a vital population with insightful programming. Given its propagation characteristics, it can often travel great distances at low cost, reaching more sparsely populated areas of our nation. Like radio generally, AM radio can be most popular for listeners on the go during travel, in other words, driving, commutes, and work when there are no other viable options. In other words, if you don't have your satellite, your Sirius XM, right, you've got AM radio, and it's free. You just have to listen to the commercials. Since then, AM radio stations often serve as a point of entry for new owners and managers, especially minorities. Well, that's interesting. Dumping AM radio devices from electric vehicles eliminates an important form of communication that the public can use during times of emergency. Yeah, it's true. Most, I think um, the greatest percentage of listeners of AM radio are driving. That's generally when you hear it. Now, the FM signal is better and it's clearer, but FM is what they call line of sight. Okay? So line of sight means you have to be, there, has to, there can be no obstructions between you, know, you and the tower broadcasting. It's line of sight. You know, that's why FM, you know, can't go around the curvature of the earth. It's got to be line of sight. So FM towers are usually on very tall places, mountains, you know, hills, things like that, and with very big towers that can broadcast over an entire city from, you know, line of sight. AM radio is not like that. AM radio can go over mountains and around obstructions. AM radio is weird, right? So they put AM radio uh, in marshy areas because apparently water-soaked, swampy, marshy areas that are flat uh, and in valleys are the best place for the AM signal because AM signal is amplitude modulation. That's what it stands for. So the difference is, so, the, so AM is all in one frequency. So the cycles of, of wave per second is the same for all of AM radio. The only difference is the height of the wave. So at the lower end of the scale, you've got, I guess, a shorter wave, and the higher end, you've got a longer wave uh, in terms of height. But the wave, the, the frequency is the same. FM is the exact opposite. FM, the wave is the same size, and the frequency of the waves is different, <laughs> you know. Um, so they, uh, they have more cycles per second. I'm not sure how they do that, but that's what I understand. And this is dumping AM radio device. Okay, the Federal Emergency Alert System, for example, relies on AM radio to communicate with the public, and the Federal Communications Commission, my former agency, he says, has gone to great lengths over multiple years to strengthen and fortify this system. Just last year, it finalized a year-long rulemaking process to expand access and add clarity to emergency messages. When a blizzard, hurricane, or other event knocks out the Internet and television signals, the public can still rely on the emergency alert system to stay informed in large part due to how resilient AM signals are. Yeah, I had no idea about this. Many know this from their own experiences. When Hurricane Sandy demolished the Northeast in 2012, thousands frantically turned to AM radio. The New York Times reported that more than a million people were listening to the radio during any 15-minute interval during that crisis. 
Similarly, the Washington Post detailed how locals in New Orleans found a source of hope in local radio stations when Hurricane Ida took their state by storm in 2021. Well, I was here for Hurricane Sally uh, in that same year, 2021. I think that was it. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of them that year. Uh, and, of course, we all listen to AM radio because it works. <laughs> you know, you look at any of those emergency hand crank radios, they're AM because it works. So this is interesting. On this point, back to the article, seven former FEMA officials signed a letter decrying many EV makers' decision to remove AM radio from their devices. The letter warns that if more EV producers scrap AM radio, it will represent a grave threat to future local, state, and federal disaster response and relief efforts. In a statement, uh, Antoine Johnson, A-N-T-W-A-N-E, Johnson, director of FEMA's Integrated Public Alert and Warning System, what's that? The F-I-P-A-W, the FIPAW, <laughs> the FIPAW system, agreed with the letter's sentiment, adding AM radio has been tested over and over during the most devastating natural disasters and has withstood them all. I'll tell you another good source of information is ham radio. So when the AM radio stations break down, you've got ham radio. You know, those are individuals. That's important also. Anyway, says, likewise, FCC communication, Nathan, uh, Commissioner, excuse me, FCC Commissioner Nathan Simington, S-I-M-I-N-G-T-O-N, pleaded with EV makers to stop interfering with the emergency alert system. Oh, that's it. Yeah, actually, we can have a get regulation requiring AM radio. That'd be funny. In a recent press release, the commissioner applauded the statement by FEMA leaders on the importance of AM radio for disaster response and underscored and affirmed their concerns in the strongest possible terms. He also emphasized how much rural communities depend on AM radio for information about emergencies, particularly alerts about weather. You know, you get a – have you ever had a hurricane alert or a tornado alert come over your AM station? Not so much in California, where I used to live, but here, yeah, happens pretty regularly. And this stressed the importance of not leaving these people behind. So to be clear, I reject the notion of government mandates as a way to force AM radio installation in EVs. I I agree, too. Indeed, 10 EV automakers, including Nissan, Honda, and Toyota, have voluntarily retained AM radio after successfully suppressing any problematic noise from from their electric vehicles when paired with AM radio devices. Now, what what the government could do is offer a, um, uh, a credit or a subsidy or something or a tax break for convert for keeping AM radio, that would be interesting. Um, but uh, they should do it anyway, uh, rather than a regulation mandating to do it. You know, make it make an incentive. It works better. Okay, da-da. anyway, so it's a cheap, easy fix. Less than a hundred dollars in a fifty thousand and hundred thousand dollar vehicle is equally obtainable for Ford, Tesla, and the rest. Hundred bucks is all cost to fix this, this problem. Anyway, it says, unfortunately, the public continues to hear static emanating from these corporate auto executives who would prefer to abandon AM. Uh, then address the problem. If these people genuinely care about the public, safety as purported, they will make necessary adjustments to protect the citizenry before real harm occurs. Wow. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> I got through everything I had to get through. Um, all right, I'm take another break here. It's now 8.56. Uh, CJ's going to be back. He's going to be on here in just a bit. 8.56. Break. I need a break. <laughs> That's why. I've been talking for two hours. So let me play you a uh, little jazz. I'll give you a few minutes of jazz. Oh, in fact, she's there right now. I think uh, eh, that's too long a break then. What else can I can play you a short piece of music? What have I played for a while? Do, 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 do. Let's get a little cello music and then I'll be back with CJ. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that was inspiring. <laughs> Let's bring on CJ. So um, I'm on the phone. I'm on the cell phone right now because the, my mic quit uh, about 10 minutes ago. And I think it's time to replace the mic card. I have to do it about every six months. But this one, seems, which would be July. But this one sounds like it wants to be replaced a little bit earlier. So I'm on the cell phone. Can you hear me okay? Life is good. How are you doing? I am. I can hear you just fine. I can hear you just fine. Um, my cell phone has been going in and out. It's four years old. And so if you can't hear me or we cut off, I am in the process of, unfortunately, purchasing a, a new cell phone probably this week or this, this weekend. So just a heads up there. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Yeah, and, of course, I always have to give the same warning when we have a thunderstorm here because I'm, I'm prone to blackouts in this area because we get thunderstorm strikes within, like, 50 feet of my place you know, on a, on a somewhat regular basis. So when it gets that close, wow. it hits the transformer, ain't nothing I can do. <laughs> the power is out. Right? Show no, I know, I yeah. know. And, yeah. and as you know, I hope you can hear me. I'm in another area of my house because I've got some major construction going on on my first floor in, in my kitchen. So um, mm-hmm. if you hear some banging or something, and I can't leave, I thought about leaving the house to go um, and do the radio show, but I really need to be here <laughs> while, the, while the workers are here. While the workers well, are here. Well, <laughs> We'll just work around it. And like I say, I had a bird screaming at my window a few minutes ago, and it's just—it's pretty typical uh, uh, stuff for around here. Uh, I got Pastor Don on the line, but I'm going to hold him for a bit because I want to get into our wellness topics. And Pastor Don, uh, the best thing to do is call when I don't have a, a guest if you want to chat. But if you want to chat wellness, then I'll get to you uh, in just a little bit and see what your question might be. Uh, he's on the road. Who knows where? <laughs> he gets around a lot. Okay. So I haven't talked to you for a bit. Uh, were you here last week or not? I don't think so. No, I don't think – no, I, I, I was not. I was not. Um, there are okay. a couple of topics um, that I wanted to start off with, and, and one of them I wanted to share, um, and, I, and I only want to touch on this because I'm, I know that you've had um, a lot of other medical doctors in the movement on the uh-huh. radio show um, a lot with, with this information, but I just wanted to share um, what I believe to be a firsthand experience with something, and I share this very humbly and just very like I'm, I'm always very transparent with everything so mm-hmm. um, I, w- I want to mention something that I have found for me I'm pretty sure I'm not a hundred percent sure but I would say I'm 80 percent sure that I've had an experience with this so I would like to share this for for your listeners um, sure. so that they realize that it, it's really not a bunch of hogwash um, in my in my opinion so um, I had whatever this virus is or was or whatever, right, back in, I think it was the beginning of 2022. And We're talking COVID? My, the COVID virus or, yeah. or something else? Yeah, okay. COVID. Yeah. And, right. um, but, you know, again, we can't quantify what COVID is. You can't measure a virus. So I say whatever virus or sickness or whatever, right? So mm-hmm. I, you know, did not have any breathing challenges, did not have any of that. Um, I was, in my opinion, pretty sick, but compared to others, probably not. You know, I was down and out for about 10 days, um, but my, I, I was, you know, my oxygen levels and all that were, were fine. My daughter was sick for like, I don't know, five, five days, and I was sick for 10 days. Um, so here at home, basically. And um, ever since that, I have struggled with on and off, if there's no consistency to it whatsoever, um, with inflammation around um uh around my liver and you know i do do all the things well see i do i do yeah so 
and this is another thing um, I'm going to squirrel on you. So I don't do mammograms. I do thermography. And so um, one day when I was laying on the couch, um, I literally saw an organ at the time. I was watching TV or something, like very distended, and I had like a sharp burning pain. I was like, holy crap. What is going on? So I got a hot water bottle, put it on me. Anyway, I went for thermography within, like, the first 72 hours. And they had told me I had an ever. And you guys know, being in the wellness industry, like, I do all the detox, all the things, and everything in my body is fine. Like, I have no other challenges, no challenge, no, no whatsoever in my – I have zero toxins in my body. I The hair mineral test, as you guys have heard me say, so I do a lot of the testing on myself. Um, and so I've measured all those things in my body. Um, and what's interesting, I, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I have to set this up right. So I was doing all the things, right, all the things. And uh-huh. for like two months, I would have no discomfort. And then, you know, another couple of weeks, I'd feel it wasn't a pain. It was just a discomfort. Like I could feel like I just felt something was off and it was a dulling discomfort right there below uh-huh. my rib cage. Anyway, make a long story short, after I did an interview um, in, um, with Jonathan Otto, I don't know if you've interviewed him yet. If not, I can connect you yeah, guys Yeah, he's been on the show. Him. Yeah, he was, yeah. he was fabulous. Yeah. But I never heard he's from him awesome. again. <laughs> he's a busy guy. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I did use, as per Dr. Artis said, I bought the nicotine patches. And I thought, I'm just going to test this out because I haven't had a blood test or a test. And because I'm very petite, I bought like a seven milligram one that was way too much. Like I really thought I was going to, um, I just couldn't do it. And they said, you know, obviously that's not normal like, unless you have snake venom in you. So I'm like, oh crap. Mm. So I cut it in half mm. and I've been, and I was using it consistently for like a week. And again, I would say knowing your own body, my discomfort level was mild. I could just tell something was off and I was frustrated because I couldn't figure it out. And so I took half of those nicotine patches, wore them every day for about five days, five to seven days, and then Mm -hmm. took a week off, you know, and rotated because obviously it's like smoking a cigarette. So it's not something I personally want to do every day, you know, of the year for the rest of my life or anything like that. So it's kind of like an on and off, Mm -hmm. on and off. And And I am telling you, I am telling you, when I had the patch on, there was, it was gone. It was gone. And then wearing them consistently, which is like, what, three three milligrams for me, something like that, half of seven. Um, right. And, uh, and then doing it a week and now off a week, what a difference. What a difference. So I am telling you that is, that is some, some true, true knowledge there. Um, okay. So I'm just let's, sharing uh, that from let's, let's go with it a bit. Let's let's talk about nicotine and, and what it is and what it does. Um, are there medicinal? It wouldn't be surprising if if uh, nicotine has medicinal properties. And do you get it through vaping, through smoking, or it's just some, or is it like a CBD thing where you have, you take out the THC, get your CBD, uh, <laughs> take it that way, or however it works. The medical marijuana right. is what I'm talking about. So well, what's, well, what's in, what? Tell me about nicotine. What do you what do you know about it? Well, my my take on nicotine is, you know, I've always you know, it's bad for you. It's bad for your lungs. It causes, we always say, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke, you know, for lung problems and et cetera, et cetera. So I am not the nicotine expert, but I have learned a lot from Dr. Otters, from Jonathan Otto, that because of the patches, you know, 
if I'm understanding it correctly, is different than you're vaping it in and all that sort of stuff. So because it's going mm-hmm. into your cells and it's adhering to the venom or the poison to pull it out of your body to get rid of it. That's my understanding. But again, the nicotine expert, that's, that's, that's the Dr. Artisan Jonathan question. I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm portraying what I think I'm understanding and hearing from, from that because when that study and that information came out, obviously to 95% of the population, that was all new news to me, you know? Mm. So that is my understanding. And so I was like, well, nothing else is helping me. I was like, well, crap, let me just give this a try, you know? And then when I called Dr. Arts and talked to him and he's like, you know, you're tiny, you need to do probably three or maybe even cut it into the four quarters, taking the seven and work your way up, you know, and do it on and off, on and off, on and off. And like I said, I played around with it and tried it so I could figure out how much I could handle at one time. And I'm telling Mm -hmm. you that I believe it's all in my head, right? Maybe it's that, uh, what, what do they call it? The placebo effect? I don't know, but I don't think so because I actually put it on me, right? The patch. And I, I swear that it has helped dramatically, dramatically. So I just wanted to, like I said, put that out there for any of your listeners um, who may have heard this and have thought it's all a bunch of hogwash. Well, here's what I found. I'm just looking at um, the quick search here. Nicotine and Tobacco Research from Oxford Academic. I guess that's Oxford University. It says, beyond smoking cessation, investigating medicinal nicotine to prevent and treat COVID. That was interesting. Yeah. It says, in the, abs- in the absence of, of treatment or a vaccine, the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic challenges the medical community to identify novel containment strategies. Of course, we know what the real ones are, right? Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, things we've been talking right. about since March of 2020 on my show. Then it says, and it says, have proposed that the nicotine, nicotinic hypothesis that nicotinic acetylcholine receptors yeah. may be therapeutic targets to reduce SARS-CoV infection and mitigate COVID-19. Testing the nicotinic hypothesis has implications to prevent and treat COVID-19 disease among billions of patients and healthcare providers, including, well, yeah, you know, if, if uh, Dr. Fascist ever came out and said, yeah, 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 the cure for, like, uh, COVID, you know, he's like smoking cigarettes, you should try it, yeah, it's good, you know, that, then we'd all just, like, scream and yell and say, how, how right. dare he? But talk about neurological, so I'm wondering where the neurological part fits in. Um, all right, there was another, maybe that was a different study. Let me go back and check this here. But I've, I've heard, the reason I'm pursuing this with you is because I've heard there are some medicinal benefits to nicotine. So now Mark was in the Netherlands listening in, and he says, if you, it says nicotine does nothing, it's addictive, and that's the problem. He says, if you only took nicotine, it's not that bad. The problem is, if you smoke cigarettes, the nicotine keeps you smoking. The real bad stuff is in the, the cigarette. That's, in fact, I was just going to make that same point, so Mark will beat me to it. But I was going to say that nicotine is the addictive part. That's why it's in there. Um, but the, uh, it's the smoke that gives you the lung cancer, not the nicotine. Am I right, right on that? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying that the patches are, that's why I made the statement, putting a patch on is different than if you're vaping or putting a cigarette in your, in your mouth. And like I said, right. you know, I haven't done the study on it. The other experts have. And so I've, I've, I've implemented for my own personal use, um, some of that to see if I felt like it it's made a difference or not, you know, and I wanted to share that I do believe that for myself it has. And again, you know, I repeat this because everybody is different and everybody's body weight's different and, you know, not everybody right. reacts the same. But for me, 
for me, just uh-huh. using a little bit um, for a short period of time made a dramatic, dramatic difference. How did you come upon so this it, as, a, as a liver treatment? How did, how did you hit upon this particular way of dealing with it? You know, I, I, just, I just was getting frustrated because I'm a very healthy individual, you know, and, and, you know, and I talk a lot about, you know, gut health and all the things, and I was just feeling, you know, your gut's your second brain. So I had this um, gut feeling because mm-hmm. nothing else was working, nothing else made sense all the things, all the other numbers and stuff were the thing. And, like, my liver enzymes, my liver numbers with, like, lab work and stuff, that never changed. Everything is fine as far as numbers go, you know, when you look at it on paper. So the only thing, you know, that we know does or doesn't make sense is all of the things that we have heard Mm -hmm. um, in relation to COVID. So I just thought, well, you know what, it's not going to hurt me to try it. You know, even if I put on uh, the nicotine patch and I end up puking, right, because I'm not used to it. I've never smoked in my life. So, you know, <laughs> well, that's the worst That's the worst thing that's going to happen, right? So I'm like, okay, you know, let me, just, let me just try this to prove these crazy nuts doctors who, you know, I think I know more than them, which I try to prove them wrong because this isn't going to work. You know, but it well, was like my last resort. And I should have <laughs> used it as the first resort because I should have, you know, adhered to what some of them were saying, but I, I wanted to try everything else because I was like, no, this can't be it. And I thought, well, I'll be damned. Maybe do I have snake poison in my body? And so I was like, let me just try this because I know, you know, that that has been the study that has been done as far as people who have been sick. And so I tried it, and I, I, it, it's like 200% better. So that's what made me... Did you you, you did read some studies or you got you got some information on this ahead of time? I mean this wasn't just a chance event that you went to nicotine. You actually had looked into this. So it was a but it was a COVID thing or a liver thing? That's why I'm confused. I want to see if I can keep that straight. Having COVID having COVID. Right. When people have COVID, right, it, it it attacks certain people different different people certain way. Some people in their lungs who have still have respiratory problems, long-term COVID. Right. Some people in other ways. And for me, for some reason, it attacked my liver. And so huh. that's why I'm saying my liver enzymes are fine. My liver is functioning fine. And the reason I found out it was inflamed because I could feel underneath my ribcage. I could physically see it when this first happened, when I felt the attack happen. And then I huh. went for the thermography. So, so let's just find that like too. Whole thermography whole... versus mammography. Thermo is, I guess, is temperature? Is that, is that thermography what is temperature and heat. So, like I said, I okay. don't go for mammograms. So when I, when, I do, um, when I do something alternative, I was always doing thermography and mammograms. And so I went to my thermographer because they can do half body and full body to see if you have inflammation, see if you have stuff going on, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, I need to go do this. And so I did it. I called her right away. She's a friend of mine. I'm like, I need to get in. I need you to do this. I need you to see what. So she told me, she's like, well, you have an angry liver, probably caused by COVID, and which is inflammation. And so I was like, okay, I know all that to do with inflammation because that's what I do. That's my specialty. Autoimmune challenges and inflammation is what I do with my clients in addition to, you know, weight, weight loss and all the things, 
right? And so I was right. doing all the things. And I thought, I have no other information around my body. This does not make sense. It doesn't make sense. So after doing interviews and listening to you, I thought, I'm going to try this. I'm just going to break down and try this. This is crazy. This is wrong. This isn't going to work. And I chose to do it, and I'll be damned. Seriously, it immediately worked. But when I say immediately, when I put the patch on, I could tell the discomfort and inflammation went down. Physically, seeing it internally, I felt it. The patch off, I started getting discomfort. I leave it on for 7 to 10 hours. But after leaving it on for 7 to 10 hours for a week, and now I haven't, you know, I, have, I don't have anything on right now, it completely mm. took it away. Completely. Does Pfizer know you're doing this? I mean, it's going to give them a bad name that uh, nicotine exactly, patches right? might be a whole lot more useful. To... <laughs> well, let me throw right. some people. So you know what? I give kudos, kudos to what I say, our colleagues, because we're all in this movement together, people who are reporting, telling truth, people who are giving suggestions, right, which they're only suggestions, uh-huh. take them or leave them, right? I wasn't going to take that suggestion. I was going to do other things that I know take away inflammation. And once I did those things, I was like, this isn't normal. This happened to me because of let me try this. Yeah. And so well, I, some of I, things I, are, I did. So, you know, hmm? if, someone, if someone told you that, uh, you know, we, we've developed a new fungus product uh, that uh, gets rid of uh, bacteria or, or, or what was the big one, uh, you know, various sexually transmitted diseases could be cured with this fungus yeah. derivative. And, and you'd go, well, that's crazy. I'm going to take a fungus. What are you, crazy? Well, it's called penicillin. <laughs> you know, so... It, things come from different but, places. But, People do not expect know, where cures just, come from. Yeah. I found this experiment on myself very interesting because you know about it. You guys have heard about it. Your listeners have heard about it. But when you actually mm-hmm. do it for yourself, if you're having some sort of a challenge, and I just had the instinct that whatever I was going on with me was not a result of, you know, uh, unhealthy habits was not uh, a result of, you know, my lifestyle or anything like that. It had to have mm-hmm. been as a result of being sick. And so I just went with my gut instinct. Again, it was a last resort that I tried, and it worked. Well, that's, there, that's what you, you have know. to do is go by your gut instinct. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of times, you know, this is, you know, I had never heard of hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, which is the first one I heard of, or ivermectin or any of these things. You know, but I did the research, and, and people like, you know, well, are you a doctor? No, but I can read a study. You know, right. I, don't, I don't have to – and so the fact – I mean, because I know I hear a lot of disqualifiers that, uh, you know, you don't uh, – you know, you're not a doctor yourself, and that's fine. I don't care because the right. people that are going through med school now are actually unlearning medicine. They're, they're learning things that are useless. to. So they're learning government medicine. They're learning right. – we talked about this uh, yesterday, uh, and, uh, and then I've gone over with Rebecca Charles with her, with her website, you know, deathbyhospitalprotocol.com. You know, right. And we talk about, and I went over this, the, the, all the incentives that, the, you know, COVID allowed the government to institute a national uh, socialized medicine system without going through Congress. And they did it by all these mandates right. and incentives and the Center for Medicaid Services and those horrible people. So the, the, I don't, you know, going to a doctor is not necessarily the best thing for you. you you're probably better off with a health practitioner who actually looks at right. things that you look at. 
you know, so I don't have any, any problem that says that we, we have to get the myth of the doctor out. Right. Like I've destroyed the myth of the lawyer, for example. Okay, so here, so here we are at Action Radio. We've written more legislation than members of Congress have over the last 30 years. None of us except for Jonathan are lawyers, <laughs> you know. And so it's, uh, you know, and we do what we do here. I'm not an economist, yet I write economic policy. You know, uh, you're right. not a, 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 an MD, and yet you know nutrition, I'm sure, better than 99% of the MDs out there. So it's, it's what you know that counts. It's not what your credentials are, because I don't have credentials for anything I do here. And yet, right. you know, we're, we're, yeah. right. let me throw some words at you. I got some words here. Uh, this, is Nick, this is talking about uh, mounting epidemiological, there's a big word, evidence of lower SARS-CoV-2 infection rates among smokers may, in fact, be explained by the exposure to nicotine. I find that fascinating. Correct. And I was wondering about yep. that. So, so smokers, so there's the fact that uh, Dr. Fascist didn't let get out. So tell me about that. Do smokers have a lower uh, uh, rate of COVID? 100%. Really? Yep, yep. We have to, yep. I have to check that. I, I want to find, find another article on that. That's fascinating. That would be a great thing to publish. So why is that? And how come, how come that's not never made in the general news? Smokers. Well, again, I, I, I looked it up after you know, hearing some of the things from Dr. Artisan and, and Jonathan, you know, and I've looked at Well, Artisan's on the show a bunch of times. Yeah, and um, it, just, it just makes sense, again, because of the nicotine that adheres to the receptors and to the cells right. and pulls out poison. You know, it, it's like, a, um, I don't like using this word because I use it in my, in, with my clients um, on a different level, but it's like a binder. You know, when you're binding toxins, almost like, like I did a podcast the other day. In fact, I'm going to bring him on your show. I have to talk to you about it um, next right. next next week. But for um, like nanoparticles and zeolites, it's like a binder that pulls toxicity out of your body, and you can't uh-huh. overdose on these. You can't overdose on these things because as a binder, it's just going to pull out the yuck, you know. And you're going to get rid of it in your pores, you know, like when you sweat, right. or even just your pores. Your pores open and exude stuff daily, you know. So, um, and that's why, like, taking a hot shower, you know, is good to get toxins out. And then you take cold water, you, you know, you, take, you do cold water the last three or four minutes of your shower to close up your pores again, you know. So doing these things binds your, mm-hmm. your toxins and the receptors in your body that lets the, the poisons, whatever they are, come out of your body whether it's through your poop, whether it's through your urine, whether it's through your pores, those are the three ways that you release toxins in your, in your body. So okay. because of what... So that, that's like a, a shower sauna thing, though, right? Because you've got hot water, then cold water. And I heard from our, our, our sex and sensuality reporter, uh, Dorothy Diana, says that cold, cold water apparently boosts testosterone. Have you ever heard that? A little confirmation here. Say that one more time. That uh, cold showers boost testosterone. Yes, I've heard that. Huh. I don't okay. know the reason, the scientific reason behind it, but I have heard that statement, yes. So, so have they ever done a study with, you know, Viagra versus freezing cold water? I mean, I'm just curious. <laughs> I, I, have no, I have no clue. <laughs> I'll have to look that one up. All right. So, so see, at Action Radio, we're free to go anywhere we want to go. That's That's the beauty of the exactly. show here. All right. So. Yeah, so then I found something here as we're talking. It says, are smokers protected against SARS-CoV-2 infection? 
uh, the origins of the myth. Well, I guess they're saying it's a myth. And this is from Primary Care Respiratory Medicine website, NPJ. So the number of recent studies have found low percentages of smokers among COVID-19 patients, causing scientists to conclude that smokers may be protected against SARS-CoV-2. National and international media were interested in the story, and we soon began receiving questions. Da, 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 da. Make a point of what you're saying, though. Again, uh-huh. if you if you're you know if you've listened to I mean I know you've had artists and Jonathan and these people on your on your radio show, but I'm, I'm, what I say if you I'm speaking to your listeners. If you listen to the different things that Dr. Artist and and Jonathan Otto and a bunch of people are saying. If they say, we're not encouraging you to go out and smoke a pack of cigarettes. That's not good for you. <laughs> yes, you can get lung cancer. But they're, they're saying there's a, there is a difference between the patch, just like you just said a couple of minutes ago, using a patch right. versus vaping or, or smoking. The thing is, okay. the, the, the reason why smokers, um, either if they did get COVID, it was extremely mild or they had no long-term symptoms of it, um, is because of the nicotine and what is what is in there you know they're not encouraging people to smoke because me putting on a patch is not like me smoking a pack of cigarettes in a day you know it's, it's mm-hmm. completely different so it's what it's made up of and what it's doing and what it's pulling out so there is a um why people who have smoked or are smokers either did not get the virus or they did and it was mild or they did and they do not have any long-term symptoms. So you've got, hmm. you've got three things there. So it's not saying that smokers don't get it, but they had exactly the percentage was much, much lower. See, that article said that's not true. So uh, as usual, we have contradictory uh, sources here. But uh, I tend to, you know, the, the, more, the more government the source, uh, the more it tends to be inaccurate. That's my that's my experience. Um, but this this uh, this this is fascinating. Now, how do smokers do with the COVID shot, with the jab itself? That I that I don't know. Well, I'll look up that in a second. So here's some big words. It says nicotine modulates the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. The psychological <laughs> yeah, isn't that great, right? Aldosterone system. There we go. Anyway, sterone system might be a doubt. Aldosterone. Right, uh, the psychological. Sounds like we're cascade. speaking Italian or something. <laughs> well, let me do this. Nic- nicotine modulates the renin. It modulates It modulates the, uh, the, 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 the aldosterone system. The psychological cascade implicated in pulmonary, cardiovascular, renal, and neurological complications. Hey, what do you want? Right. Anyway, now for the, the next to all of Italy who listens to us, uh, psychological cascade implicated in the pulmonary. That's heart. No, pulmonary is lung. Correct. Cardiovascular, Correct. that's heart. Renal, that's kidney. And neurologic, yep. that's, your, that's your nerve system. Uh, complications of COVID-19 pathogenesis. Nicotine and cigarette smoke have been reported to decrease levels of uh, a certain enzyme, uh, a, a putative receptor. That doesn't sound nice. Uh, and, and lungs, anyway, it's very complicated, but it, it looks like it, it works. <laughs> it helps. Is that, are you, you looking know, at an article online? Is that what you're looking at? Yeah, I can send it to you. Nicotine and tobacco yes, research. Please. Yeah. All right. So let me let me email it. You know, I'll email it to you immediately. Oxford Academic. Yes, so I guess that's Oxford University. All right. Hang on. This will take a second. Oh, I haven't seen my email sure. for a while. I have a bunch of them. <laughs> that's interesting. There. I got uh, subject uh, nicotine. Hang on. 
N-I-C-T-R-N-I-N-E. <laughs> there we go. I'm just going to email you the website so you can click on it immediately. Should be there. All right. I will take a look and see if I got it. Yeah. Can you still hear me? A lot of big words, though. A lot of big words. I'll be interested to to look over and read that article. Okay. It's live radio. We can put things back and forth. Yeah. Oh, no problem. (laughs) Uh, I have a bunch of stuff here. (laughs) This is is the fun of it. Oh, yeah. Listen, I... But, you know, like I said, I, I wanted to bring that up with the point being that you know, if any of your listeners are have been challenged with long-term symptoms or they know somebody and they've been hesitant to try that to think it's, mm-hmm. it's not a real thing, it really is a real thing. I can tell you from personal experience. Well, it's, it's interesting how many things are, are, you know, used as treatments that you wouldn't think would be because they're not directly related. Well, it's like if you have a headache, you have to take an aspirin or, or a, a non-aspirin thing. But maybe you should, uh, I don't know, take a spoonful of honey. I mean, maybe it opens up the, the blood vessels. Or maybe eat some beets. You know, isn't it, it beets those yeah, are the ones I mean, that open well, blood vessels? People, I always tell people yeah. to use um, pink Himalayan sea salt underneath your tongue because it's chock full of minerals, you know. Okay. And your body will absorb them. And nine times out of ten, that takes away pink Himalayan sea salt underneath your tongue. That's, so, I got to write a, a great name for a, for a band. I'm looking. I'm, I'm hoping to join a new rock band here pretty soon. And I, I just think Pink Himalayan Sea Salt would be like the coolest name for a group. <laughs> yeah. That is. See, I we're, we're gonna go see Pink yeah. Himalayan Sea Salt. Yeah. You know, but I like uh, that. So I, I'm sure it's already a, a patented or copyright name, so I don't think I can do that. But cool things like that, you know, it would be great for a band name. Uh, anyway, we got a jam coming up this weekend, so it should be interesting. I'll let you know next week if I'm a rock star. If I have a new okay. opportunity, so that's my outlet. So here's a, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you something totally unrelated, but this is kind of funny actually. Um, I have a new cockroach prevention uh, system uh, in my in my cottage here. It's called my electric guitar, and I have noticed that if I don't play for a few days, which of course is like a mortal sin to me, uh, the chance of seeing bugs in here in the summertime increases. However, if I play guitar every night, which I tend to do for an hour and a half to two hours. Uh, there's no bugs in here. Explain that one. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Vibrations, right? The vibrations. That's what I'm thinking. They don't like the sound vibrations. And I don't play badly. I've been doing this 40 years. I'm actually pretty good now. So, (laughs) but uh, they don't, uh, the big, the big roaches, the big, you know, inch plus long ones that we get are inch, inch and a half long. They're big ones. Not quite palmetto bugs. Right. Those can carry away small children. Um, but uh, these are big enough, and they're, they're big and ugly. And it's like I, I try and make a deal with them. I say, look, bugs, you know, I say, summer's coming up. i got a deal. Don't make me kill you. Don't, make me, don't put me in a position where I have to hurt you. Just don't come in here. And right. every once in a while, one of them doesn't get the message. Like, oh, sorry. Okay, fine. You know, say, leave me alone. Don't crawl on my toothbrush. You know, don't, don't walk into my pots and pans. Don't do that, and we will be fine. Right. You know, but, uh, yeah. but seriously, though, I think it's, it's fascinating that sound, which leads to the question, are there um, sound things that people use, you know, to get rid of bugs? Why not works. You know, that, that would be a great topic for me to write down for us to do for another podcast is okay. um, every, everything that all the positive things, that are a result of vibrations. Yeah. 
And vibration. vibrations. I'm jamming. Jamming right? all night with you. I'm jamming, we're jamming, we're jamming. I like Bob Marley. Jamming, we're jamming. <laughs> um, so then we have to figure and, like said, which kind of music sorry. is the most effective in removing bugs. I bet you it's heavy metal. Betcha, betcha. Bet that really upsets their, their little nerve impulses. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, one of hmm. the other topics that I wanted to um, uh, touch on because it's very individualized, but is people knowing what's in their vitamins. I talk to so many people. This is a big thing, you know, uh-huh. including myself, but I, I have certain sources that I know are good. Um, people take vitamins, you know, all the time, but 90% of them are all coming from synthetic sources. You know, I huh. mean, people don't, people don't know. So here's the thing, that if you look at vitamin C, if you look at vitamin C that's in your cabinet right now, most people, unless you know better, have a synthetic form of vitamin C, absorbic acid. It's right. made in China, you know? Ew. So it's like, it's, 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 it's horrible. It is absolutely horrible. And what absorbic, absorbic acid comes from is fermented corn. So oh if you're getting a synthetic vitamin C, that's what you're putting in your body. Whereas if you have, a, um, and I have access to these things. If you have a clean source of vitamin C, that's a liquid. It's got erciola, um, rosehip, citrus fruits, blackberries, all those things in it. You always want to make sure that your vitamins are organic and clean. And most people just go to Whole Foods or Amazon and buy a vitamin C. And when so you I used to have vitamin C. Yeah, I used to have rosehips. Acerola, I think, was the manufacturer of it. Uh, it had sugar and starch in it because it was a big, big, big chewable pill. I can't swallow pills, um, right. which was really a problem when I had a ventilator, you know, when I was after my heart surgery. Um, but in fact, I warned him ahead of time. I said, guys have the worst gag reflex in the world. Don't leave the tubes in when I wake up. Of course they did. But anyway, that's another story. Um, but right. so was that a, a better form of vitamin C? My big, you know, yeah. big plastic jar of, uh, Okay. So how do you tell good vitamin C from bad vitamin C? I mean, what do you see on the label? You have to make sure that you're seeing those sources. Everything should be organic and from food. If it's not a, if it's not food grade and it says it's, you don't want to consume it. So ascorbic acid. So 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 how about my my glass of Tropicana orange juice? You know, besides the, the fructose, which because why the sugar? Because it's got all of those things in it, if you look at it. And look at the ingredients. No, it doesn't. Fact, it's just, it's natural. It just has orange juice. Does it have one ingredient, orange juice? Yep. That's it. Okay. Well, then, right. you're, well then you're good. Since I'm on my cell phone, since I'm on my cell phone, I can leave my microphone. I can walk over. And in fact, I just finished a carton this morning. Let's take a look and see what it says. Let's do some label reading. I just did something on this this week, as a matter of fact. Okay. But I'm trying to find out where I put it, honestly. Mm-hmm. This cracks me up. I'm walking around my uh, my, my cottage here with an empty uh, plastic jar of Tropicana orange juice while I'm on the air around the world, and Marco's listening in the Netherlands. This cracks oh, me up. I can, I can pull it up. I can pull it up because I remember where I put it. <laughs> okay. Well, I got, I got the label right here. <laughs> Uh, let me see what it says here. Orange juice from U.S. and Brazil. 
Okay, Tropicana Manufacturing. Da, 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 da. Ingredients. There's. Send this Orange. to you. Yeah. What's it say? It says pure premium, 100% orange juice, not from concentrate. One ingredient. Yep. Orange juice. That's okay. it. That's the only ingredient. Okay. Yep. And I because it's you, not from um, concentrate, now here's an advantage. Now, do you know about, you, I'm sure you know, well, let's find out. <laughs> um, orange juice from concentrate, they grind up the, uh, the peel to get that last little yes. bit of juice. Yes. That's, that's where all the pesticides are. Yes, if it's not cleaned off. Like I buy um, organic oranges here at home, and I clean them um, myself, you know, like with soda and vinegar, or I have a special wash that I, that I use. You can, you know, but your baking soda and vinegar is your best bet. You can scrub it and you right. can but put, it's not from, you know, make. If it's not from concentrate, then it doesn't have uh, peel in it. Mm-hmm. That's as I understand That's interesting. It. That's interesting. Well, because you yeah. can taste the difference. Yeah. If you have con- the reason I drink concentrated oranges initially when I was a kid was because it tastes bad. It's it's got a bitter taste. Well, that's from the peel and all the other crap in it. But if you get right. Tropicana, it's the only one that not from concentrate. You don't have the peel. I mean, it's more expensive, but it's better. So it says contains right. orange juice from the U.S. and Brazil. So that's the only ingredient, orange juice. So there's no acetone. There's no none of this stuff. There's no ascorbic acid added. There's nothing added. Right. So like another that's one is folic acid. You know, like the folic acid that I deal with and I, you know, give to my clients, it's 100% right. clean. It's got spinach, rice, bran, broccoli, and brewer's yeast, whereas folic acid, unless it's stated, it's all synthetic from, from petroleum derivatives, solvents, and, and yeah. acetylene. So, mm-hmm. and people need this stuff, you know, just like your B, B vitamin is, right. it's, it's, it's all synthetic, you know? I mean, huh. I have a whole chart. Right. I can get it to you. Um, cause I, I just well, downloaded it, you know, because you always, you better take supplemental vitamin C. I mean, Linus Pauling was big on that. He had like what, 10,000 plus units a day or whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. he had a, a mm-hmm. milligrams. He had a ridiculous amount of vitamin C, but apparently it's good for you. But the question is, so how much vitamin C is in my Tropicana orange juice? I don't know how much. How much is? How, what's it say? It's probably half of what it what, says. What, what's it, well, how much? Well, in other words, if you know, rather than take a supplemental vitamin C, why not just uh, drink orange juice? You know, isn't, am I getting as much, or do I have to drink a lot of orange juice to get the same amount of vitamin C? You'd probably have to drink a, a lot of, of vitamin C. Okay. Because again, but that's just one. That's just one. That's just there's a lot of orange juice. Because again, the most of the sources is. Is like we stated, vitamin C comes from rose hips, all kinds of citrus fruits, or blackberries. So you'd have to have copious amounts of it. Okay. All right, but it's you also know, really, think about this. Like if you, yeah. Like if uh-huh. I take an orange, like your typical right. orange, right? Mm-hmm. And I just cut it open. You know, I, I'm not putting it in the Vitamix. I'm not taking off the peel. I'm just squeezing it like you do when you get lemon juice out, fish or whatever. Right? I'm just literally squeezing the orange. Think mm-hmm. how many oranges it takes. Even fill up a cup for orange juice. Yeah, sure. Whether it's clean or not, I'm just saying it usually takes a lot. So, plus, you know, again with what all they're spraying and whatnot on there, you you just you just don't know. So it would take copious amounts. So that's why if you're using a supplementation, it's a combination of all those different things with the rose hips, the citrus fruits, the blackberries, all all the things, you know. So, right. um, 
my, my point is I have this chart here and I can get it to you. I would love to get it to you. I'll email it to you. You can put it somewhere. Is that you have to be super, super careful. You know, most of us have countertop supplements as we've been advised to do throughout the past uh-huh. three and a half, four years, right? But we don't know what we're buying. And I have to say, and again, I'm not, I'm, mm, I have to be careful how I say this because I totally respect all of our colleagues. Even but. with a lot of our colleagues <laughs> and the stuff that they're promoting, right, everybody has to make money, right, and, and, and make a living, including, including myself. And we've heard the term patriot, P-A-Y, triot, over this movement, you know, of people taking people just to buy supplements and things like that and to promote certain, certain things. And that is a real thing. That is a real thing. Um, so you just have to be knowledgeable when you are purchasing certain things so that you know how to read and where the sourcing is coming from. That is so important. That is so important. You know, because throughout this movement, we have seen, I have seen, good patriots and bad patriots and good things and bad things. So, you know, me sharing this knowledge with you is just for you guys to empower yourself so you can read. Okay, where is my where is my vitamin C coming from? How is it being right. sourced? Does it have in parentheses as absorbic acid or as something? If it says as something, then it's synthetic and man-made. I don't care who you're buying it from. It's synthetic and man-made. If, right. if it says vitamin C, source is organic blackberries, organic this, organic that, you're good to go. So know how to read the labels. And I would venture to say that 90% of what everybody has in their cabinet is synthetic. Yeah, it makes sense, but I not my cabinet. Ca- not your cabinet? That's good. Well, here's the That's thing, good. too. That was my- that was another question I was going to bring up at some point, um, but I just thought of it. Uh, I was, um, that I've gotten rid of all the seed oils, so I was thinking, okay, what next do I do? There's no seed oils here. There's no canola. There's no uh, olive oil. There, well, that's not really seed, but it's close enough. Uh, there's none, none of the salad dressings. There's no soy. None of those things. There's none of those stuff here. It's all um, the closest I have. Uh, all my my mayonnaise is now avocado oil, which is really expensive, but it tastes really good. <laughs> so so that's uh, yeah. that's the switch. And you got Primal Kitchen, yeah. but there's another one. I- uh, about two dollars less, and it's pretty good too. So it's all it's all natural yeah, uh, ingredients. Is it chosen? Uh, up, you know, is it chosen? chosen? Well, let me take a look. Let me see. Now that I can do the show on cell phone, two... I can walk around my I can walk around my kitchen. This is hysterical. I know and it's awesome. It's I'm outside on my deck now. I'm trying to get some sun and get the puppies okay. in, and because I got all the construction uh, going on. But um, the chosen brand. Yeah, it is chosen. Chosen yeah, and Primal Kitchen are two good ones. Classic mayo, 100% avocado oil base. Now look at the ingredients on this one. This one's really good. We've got avocado oil, filtered water, egg yolks, organic whole eggs, organic distilled white vinegar, organic mustard, distilled organic vinegar, water, organic mustard seeds, salt, organic spices. It doesn't say pink Himalayan sea salt, but, you know, we'll get that someday. So organic rosemary extract. Yeah, that's all good stuff. Awesome. Awesome. But like yeah. I said, you yeah. know, I, you know uh-huh. most, most people – don't do that like you and I do. So, you know, just empowering them with this knowledge, because I will tell you, there were some supplements in my counter, I mean, that uh-huh. I took so much money away. Seriously? Like, I threw stuff away. When I found out some stuff was synthetic, I'm like, I don't 
Most people say, well, I spent the money on it. I'm going to finish it. I understand right. and respect that. I understand the uh-huh. rest of their money. The economy sucks right now, the whole thing, right? So, again, I'm not um, I'm not condemning anyone, you know, or passing uh-huh. judgment. But I'm just saying that rather than piss your money away, don't spend it in the first place unless you're spending it on something that's high, high quality. So <laughs> I threw away a lot of stuff, and I was like, you're kidding yeah. me. Look at all this money I just threw in the freaking trash can. But that was the Well, how much is your health worth? you got to make that decision, too. Exactly. When I stopped that eating, eating cereal, I, made. I had like five yeah. boxes of cereal. Yeah. I, I didn't eat them. I right. just stopped eating it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it was just a choice not to put them in my, my body because I was learning so many things, and I was like, oh, no, this isn't going in my body. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? Because yeah. if you think about hey, let me, it, uh, you think about it. <laughs> you, you're going to love this. Cockroach Zone. Are you ready for something funny? Cockroach I found what? an article. Zone. This is the website, Cockroach Zone, right? And it says, what sounds do cockroaches hate? <laughs> I think, the, I think my, my, my rock and roll theory, uh, the vibrations, is actually uh, true. I think, I think uh, you, you hit on it as well. <clears throat> it says, what sound do cockroaches hate? Not only are cockroaches difficult to kill, but they don't seem to be that affected by sound. That said, if there are uh-huh. no predators are around, such as humans and household pets, they can make themselves scarce. As a result, making some level of noise could keep cockroaches away. Cockroaches oh. use sensory organs to detect sound waves and changes in air pressure, including uh, leg hairs, antenna, and uh, cerci. Not sure what that is, C-E-R-C-I. Oh, wow. This alerts cockroaches of danger, food, and the location of the colony. Because these organs detect vibration, cockroaches hate the sound of clapping, door slamming, and stomping, and probably um, Ozzy Osbourne, too, although that's not in the article. Wow. <laughs> cockroaches, cockroaches' hearing capabilities aren't widely documented, but anecdotal evidence suggests that they prefer to stay away from uh, danger and remain hidden whenever they detect unknown sound waves. That would be me and my GNL guitar. That's one of the reasons why it says that's not in the article. I'm just repeating. Uh, cockroaches come out at night when it's significantly quieter. Then it says cockroaches can't hear sound in the same way. Um, according to the Journal of Experimental Biology, somebody actually studied this. <laughs> you got to figure, I'd like a grant to study the uh, the sound wave uh, right. locations to cockroaches. Okay, fine. Here's a million bucks. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'll see you next year. Okay, fine. Cockroaches are thought to be completely deaf. I don't believe that. Otherwise, they wouldn't run away when you stomp. You know, anyway, it says, however, recordings have found a sense organ that's sensitive to sound and vibration. I wonder if they have, like, uh, if you play reggae, would well, that be different? Blast them on, cockroach. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so they have nerves. It says, however, the sound. Uh, da, 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 da. All right. Cockroaches rely on other senses to hear. Da, 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 da. Da, all right. So it's similar. Uh, okay. They seem to be repeating itself. Uh, huh. It says, because cockroaches can't hear sound well, loud noises are unlikely to scare them uh, unless it causes significant vibration. See, that's the thing. That amp, my combo, right? My, okay. my regular amp plus the, the cabinet below it. Creates. I love those vibrations. Now, here's what's interesting. Rock and roll is primarily a vibration thing. Rock and roll is the one, rock music is the one that you really feel in your gut because of the yeah. vibrations, right? Yeah. So the frequencies yep. of rock music are different than jazz. Jazz you listen to, rock you experience. Nothing in jazz mm. music. Well, okay. But you'll notice there's a difference. So would jazz music keep cockroaches away as well as um, rock does? I wouldn't think so. That's interesting. I'm going to get some deep purple out and see if it uh, makes a difference. All I know is when I play the guitar regularly, uh, I don't. Uh, but there was a, the last time I saw cockroach, I hadn't played for a couple of days because I was busy. Stuff happened. I think it might be the medical rally or something like that. I missed like two or three days of playing. 
But when I play every day, and if I only miss one day, I don't see cockroaches. Go wow. figure. Isn't that, isn't that wild? Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, that's a whole other show that we can do on the the the, okay. the positive energies, the positive healing aspect of, you know, vibrations and rhythm and frequencies. I mean, because that oh, is yeah. a thing. Well, I it think it's incredibly powerful. I mean, there's a reason that people dance to drum beats. There's a reason that right. probably the oldest form of music is the drum. Well, I have. Um, have you done um, a radio show with somebody that knows about, like, the healing powers of vibrations and frequencies? We started to. I've done it some with uh, a friend of mine, Chancey Terry, who does well and stuff around here and some of the, the friends that she has. So we've done a bit, but not a lot. I'd like to do a lot more. Okay. Because I have somebody that I can reach out to to get on the show with us. Okay. So we can we can fine. do that. That would be very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and well, I've got somebody music- lined up for next week. Yeah. Is music therapy a thing, or is that more absolutely. psychological? Okay. I think absolutely it is. You know, oh. and the thing, and you only hear it in certain arenas. You know, you talk think when people think about music therapy, or for me, you know, you think about children because. I've heard and seen it a lot with children with music therapy, especially, you know, kids with Down syndrome, kids who are artistic or on the spectrum or things things like that. You know, I mean, there's evil locally around here in Charlotte where people can go for music therapy. The problem is, you know, people don't really, you know, it's not a mainstream of conversation like you have with, you know, other things. You know, if you go to a hospital or you go to a psychiatrist or, you know, you have whatever issues going on, people aren't going to tell you, you know, well, you can go for healing therapies to, you know, doing doing the ice chamber. You can go for music therapy. You can go for you can go do this. You can go do that. People aren't going to tell you nine times out of ten all these alternative options that you have at your fingertips because it doesn't benefit them and the system. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh no, I absolutely agree. I mean, psychotropics they they already proved don't work. That so they don't you know, change the hormone balance and all this other stuff they said they did. But I, I've told people for years, I said, if you're in a bad mood or things aren't going well, go drive, wind down all the windows, crank up your favorite music and sing as loudly as you can. You're going to feel great Absolutely. when you get back. Absolutely. You know, it's better yeah. than, uh, than uh, what's that, Prozac or, exactly, or Lubbock right? or, or, any of those, or right? Ritalin or any of those ridiculous drugs. No, go sing country music out the window. If you want to feel better, go sing rock. Go sing, go sing Beatles. Go sing whatever your favorite thing is. Now, there's a question for you. The action of singing, does that oxygenate you more? And does that help? Oh. And the fresh air blowing in your face. So is, the, oh, yeah. is singing therapy even better than music therapy for, with your favorite yeah, tunes? Yeah, it all works collectively together. You know what I mean? Okay. There's so many positive aspects that and like I said even what you were going to like if, if you go to the a a medical person you know for something of that nature that you just mentioned you know uh, or taking Xanax or Prozac they only want to do it because it benefits them they're not going to tell you that you can take natural adaptogens and it'll work with what your body needs and benefit mm-hmm. you because that doesn't put money in their pocket so if you're you know? singing are you actually taking in more oxygen I bet you are I yeah I mean that okay. would just make logical sense right well, that's what I'm thinking because I used to feel good when I played tuba, and I would swallow an enormous amount of air. In fact, my right. lungs were so big. I, I think I've told you, I don't know if I've told you the story or not. After college, um, I was working, and this Blue Cross truck pulls up, and they were doing like an insurance, you know, like a wellness check kind of thing. This was back in the 80s. 
And so they had a, they had blood pressure, they had heart rate, the usual stuff, right? But then they had this, this thing that was different. They had this tube people were blowing into. I said, like, what's that? Well, we're, we're testing your lung capacity. I'm like, okay, I'm game. <laughs> you don't think I'm a tuba player. This should right? be interesting, right? And so the, the average person was like about uh, three liters of air. So you right. take your, your standard your standard two-liter bottle of Coke and add that extra yeah. liter to it. So most people had about three liters of it. Those are the people that didn't exercise or exercised very little, right? So the average person, the desk right. jockeys. Then we had these, the jocks, I called them. So the jocks were like these guys, like, in their 30s, thought they were tough. They'd go jogging every lunch and, you know, and then, and then come back and, uh, you know, they'd have, like, the, the, the big shower thing, and they'd come out, okay, we're clean, we've run, we're, we're in good shape, we can now go back to work. And it's like, okay, they'd laugh at these pretentious, you know, jerks, right? Anyway, so they come back, and they were blowing, like, 4.5 liters of air. Oh, well, that's pretty good. They must be in good shape. Okay, for it. that's like uh, half again as much as, as the sedentary people. Well, that was my turn. <laughs> this is a true story. I'm not making this up. Swear to God, this is exactly wow. what happened. So I took a big breath of my tuba, you know, inspired lungs, and I blew 6.7 liters of air. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. That's like two and a half times as much air as the sedentary and uh, half again as much um, as, the, uh, as the jocks. Simply by playing tuba. Wow, and I was exercising. I was doing kung fu and other things, you know, and stuff like that. But the, the point was I had a ridiculous lung capacity from simply stretching my lungs from playing tuba for 12 years. Oh, wow. Now, I felt better when I played. Every time I played, I felt better. And I'm wondering if part of that was the fact that I was taking in such a ridiculous amount of air into my body like an athlete would um, uh-huh. that uh, I, I was getting like a runner's high from playing tuba because of the extra oxygen. That's awesome. So if we're talking yeah. sound therapy, can, so here's my question for you. So, so write this down for another show. Can wind musicians, you know, brass and woodwind players, get similar benefits to aerobic exercise playing their instrument? Hmm. Good. That's hmm, good question. I don't know. That would right. be a good topic. Yeah, I think so. So I'm glad you write yeah. this down because I'll forget them. <laughs> but I, I would contend be- yes. You know, because uh, I mean, I, it, would make, Benny... it makes logical sense thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I think about I Betty Goodman. Betty yeah. Goodman. But, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying that makes logical sense, and that would be a great thing to look into. Mm-hmm. This is why I love having you on the show, because you, you, you get curious all these things that, that pop into my crazy brain. Um, but I was thinking Benny Goodman. Uh, do you know Benny Goodman, the clarinet player, uh, wrote the best song of swing ever, Sing, Sing, Sing? Uh, played, he played clarinet. I mean, he might have played saxophone, but he really specialized in the clarinet. He had his own band. Uh, the other greats from the, the, the swing era, uh, Glenn Miller, Tommy, Jimmy Dorsey, uh, all those guys. And then you had uh, um, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, and a bunch of other folks, the jazz side of it. Um, but swing, uh-huh. swing was really – anyway, so they're all wind players. So your trumpet players and uh, like Harry James lived a long time, but Benny Goodman li- was playing into his 80s, playing clarinet. Mm-hmm. And I don't think of him as a as an athlete. Like he was a dorky uh, Jewish kid from Brooklyn. <laughs> All right. <Yeah. laughs> and, and it's like, yeah, I want to play some clarinet. Okay, fine. Come on, you want to play clarinet? No, I want to be a rabbi. I don't want to be a rabbi. I want to play clarinet. So I'm not playing clarinet in this family. I'll be a rabbi. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so there's my Brooklyn accent, but. Um, <laughs> I said, funny. I did that in the grocery store the other day. You know, the guy. Uh, it was, <laughs> this is, I was in Publix, right? I won't tell you which one. So I'm in the Publix shopping center, and there's the the the, the produce grocer, the dairy guy, and the bread's like on the other side of the aisle. 
and I walk up behind him. He's like, he's got his face into the, the dairy cabinet. I said, hey, I want some bagels. I like what I used to have in Brooklyn. I said, what do you got for me? Come on, make me a deal. What the heck? What do you got? Come on. And, and the oh, guy, he God. wouldn't even turn around. He, he was like so scared. He wouldn't even turn around, right? This is hysterical. I said, that's not my real voice. It's okay. It's just me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It was hysterical. So people get freaked out by accents, the accents they're not familiar with. Anyway, point being, that Benny Goodman is one of the greatest clarinet players um, to ever live. And I think he was well, he's still playing in his 80s. And it was a little quintet. And oh, wow. Like that. And I think part of that. Part of that was, now here's this is part of the investigation. Do, does playing a wind instrument equate to athletics and aerobics? I bet you it does. I'm just, just you know. Yeah. I would venture yeah. to say the answer would be yes. Okay. So maybe we can include that in our therapy. You know, go go take up the clarinet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, you're, yeah, you're not feeling good? That's funny you say that. I, you know. I, I used to play the clarinet in high school for a little bit. I didn't like it, so obviously I did not continue but <laughs> So I've never played woodwinds. I mean, I've tried honking a few notes out, but I, you know, that that sticking a piece of wood in my mouth never really appealed to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played several instruments. I think I tried clarinet. I played the violin, and I played the piano. Mm-hmm. So all 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 the things. The only one I really liked was the piano. Hmm. So. I suck at piano. I, I can't. I can't play. I can't play hardly anything on piano. Guitar, I can play, but piano, no. Yeah. I could probably just play Mary Had a Little Lamb right now. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting, now here's, here's, another, here's another question for mental uh, abilities. I'm, I'm not judging good or bad, but I have found, this is you know, Greg's theory number 12, that um, people who think linearly who are good in algebra are better piano players because the piano is laid out in a linear fashion. So it makes sense if ah. you go from A to B to C to D, that if your mind is linear, then you're going to do better on the piano. And better in algebra. That's an interesting concept. Whereas I, I suck at both algebra and the piano. However. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I'm not a numbers yeah. person. Okay. However, yeah. I was really yeah. good at geometry. In fact, I, I got through advanced trig in school and screwed up on the subtraction of things. That's usually what caused me problems with the numbers. But the actual, but the pictures, the, the, the principles, geometry, trigonometry, things like that, were completely natural to me because they're pictures. Guitar chords mm-hmm. are a picture in your brain. You make a picture of the guitar chord. And so I found guitar immensely easier. I could play a, car, a chord on a guitar far, far easier than I could on the piano. Even though on a guitar uh-huh. it takes two hands to play a chord, and a piano takes one hand. But, yeah, I, had, uh, I have no trouble playing chords because they're pictures. I just see a picture in my head right. and I play it. Okay. Right. So geometry right. and guitar with picture chords versus piano and algebra. So there's the theory. Yeah. That's the theory for you. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it, like I said, it's it's amazing how, you know, you think about the notes, you think about vibrations, you think about all the things, and so uh-huh. many different things of healing powers and things out there that, you know, are just kind of put by the wayside because it doesn't benefit the government. It doesn't benefit, benefit big pharma. It does, you know, it's not, it's not the main, I mean, it's not the main topics of conversation. You know, when you go to talk to somebody about health and wellness or something, it, it usually turns into... A medical conversation or a hospital conversation or I'm taking this drug or I'm taking that, you know, the conversation usually does not steer in a more natural way, you know, unless you're hanging out with somebody like us, you know what I mean? So, yeah. That's, that's but I've always talked about this stuff. Go. Yeah, but this you stuff know? seems natural to me to talk about. That's why I, I mean, I've always talked about stuff like this, uh, you know, even before I knew this was a thing. It just right. makes sense. Right. Hmm. Well, like I said, I've I've been 
I've been I've been talking like this for about thirty years now, so <laughs> even when it was, even when it wasn't the thing to talk about, you know, I so and, and it's interesting how things are evol- evolving and, and learning so much more every day, you know, because we're learning yeah. so many more things that have been hidden from us, you know, that the more we dig came before us and our ancestors and the healing powers of certain things, you know, we're going back to my mm-hmm. great grandmother's remedies and things like that, you know. I mean, people just don't talk like that anymore. But I must say I'm encouraged by the fact that there are more people open to those conversations or receptive to when somebody like us starts talking in that fashion, uh, more people are open to hear these days, I think. Yeah, I think medicine is going to completely split. Uh, There's going to be two types of medicine. There's going to be private, uh, personal medicine, and there's going to be government, you know, mandated protocol medicine. And quite frankly, the right. government's going to kill a bunch of people because that's what they're—that's the whole thing. Uh, in fact, um, Judy Mikovits um, has she's on the board of directors. Every global med tech or something like that. Have you heard of them? Yeah. So I find it. Yes. Yeah. There's a couple yeah. of global med techs, but there's a spell T E K. Um, and okay. I'm going to post it on uh, on our action radio pages. Um, but uh, yeah, but uh, so there, you know, and it's like uh, the urgent care folks. We're, we're basically splitting medicine. You know, in fact, we're going to have to split into, uh, we have to split blood supplies, you know, between vaccinated blood and unvaccinated. I don't want to have an operation where I'm going to be subjected to COVID shot blood. I just don't want to do it. Right. Right. So unless I either right. donate myself, you know, over a couple of months. You yeah. Know, like that's Jehovah's what do. I don't even know futuristically or now because, you know, that's not my area of expertise, you know. I, but right. I have heard, and I know we're going to have to end this, um, but. And this would be a great conversation. I don't know how much you've gotten into this, but I have connected. Um, and I forget the the, the actual um, medical term for it, where they recirculate your bud and clean it up and then put it back into What's it called? I want to say it starts with an H. It, it's called the Keith it. Richards treatment. No, it's the Keith Richards treatment. No, that wasn't the word I was thinking about, but okay. I'm joking. But, uh, I'm joking with um, you. No, uh, no, but there's a name. There's a name for it, and I've got to find it. Chelation. I think it's chelation. Okay. I was thinking like chemo something because chemo something is always blood. But, yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. Okay, blood chelation. I'm not 90% sure that that's what it is. If not, I'm going to sound really stupid, but it's called blood chelation. (laughs) Um, Okay. Like I said, I don't know. I mean, that's not my area of expertise, so I'm just trying to go off on memory by conversations that I've had. Don't worry about it. You don't don't have to be an expert in everything. I'm not. I just talk, so, you know, it's okay. That blood chelation that they are doing now can clean up a person's blood who's been vaccinated. Now, I don't know that it can get rid of everything or how that works with what's in in them or how it goes into cells. I mean, mean, don't. Don't, whoever's listening, don't hold me to this. I I don't, I'm not a scientist. I don't know. But I have been told that there are positive changes taking place in people's blood who have been vaccinated. And I do believe that this is my belief only. I have no proof of this. This is CJ's belief that there is a difference between the different shots that were given and how many were given, I do believe that there is a difference. I do believe that there are placebos, but the stuff that weren't placebos, I do believe there's a difference in what's in them, what's not in them. And that statement that I'm saying has been confirmed to me by people who I've talked to who actually do the blood chelation therapies. 
on people right. that they are seeing positive changes in the blood of people got vaccinated. And now, you know, obviously I didn't get vaccinated, but even positive changes, like if I went and got my blood chelated, right, I did have vaccines as a little girl. We talked about this. Like my parents didn't know any better. That's why I suffered, I think, right. from several autoimmune challenges. So I'm just saying vaccine in general. But pertaining to what we're dealing with today, I have heard that there are seeing dramatic positive changes in the quality and what is happening in the blood. And so that's encouraging news. The challenge is most people don't know about it, number one. Number two is mm-hmm. how many people are going to pay out of pocket to have right. that done. So that's a whole other topic. The vaccines are safe and effective, so they're not going to pay for it. Insurance companies won't. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that's a piece of encouraging news, you know, um, mm-hmm. that I mean. And like I said, I have somebody that does that who I trust. I know several people, and that would be a great topic of conversation for me to bring somebody oh, yeah. on as well to talk about that because you can probably even if you're talking to somebody you know here that i know in the state of north carolina if you're in missouri or somewhere you know you can always look that up um to see who does blood chelation if that's something that you're interested in or you know wedding but i think bringing that information a really big deal again it's just another resource of educational purposes well this would be really important for like especially like married couples where one got the shot and the other didn't and they, they want yeah. to make sure that they're both be around a long time or they're not going to shed. Or That's another topic for you, too. It would be a good question. Is I, I've heard, um, but it's always good to get the most recent knowledge, of, of people being around, like the those of us that are, you know, vaccine-free, you know, being around people that yeah. have it. Uh, are there ways to, to pick up? Because I know I've heard about shedding. So are they shedding the COVID virus? Are they shedding uh, the spike proteins? Or I mean, we can do this next week. That'd be a great topic, also. Yeah, we can do this next week. But I'll, I'll end on I'll yep. end on this. And again, this is CJ's CJ's perspective on that. Number one, as a single woman, I'm not going to get down and funky with anybody that's had the vaccine. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> okay, that's, that's, good that's to know. That. But yeah, but yeah. that be, that being said, CJ's take on that is that I personally would be more concerned in a sexual relationship. I'm not talking about going out to dinner or going to play tennis or, you know, because I have a lot of friends that made that decision. I have a lot of senior friends that I help out. I hear, you know, and again, I think it also depends on did they have the shot yesterday or did they have it two, two years ago? So my personal yeah. is I'm not, I'm not segregating myself from or hanging out with hanging out with, you know what I mean? I know the things to do. I'm not, you know, again, the more we give into that, the more we give into fear and the left. But I'm saying, you know, to go and have sexual relations or something like that with somebody, mm-hmm. that would be more of a concern of mine. And that would be more of, because I know a lot of my good friends who are like me, and one of the spouses, typically the guy, has gotten it. And, you know, they're still continuing on with their marriage relationship, but it has put a strain on them. And so having options of, you know, blood chelations or knowing some of the things to help reduce some of the effects. You know, again, it's just knowledge is power, but don't allow it, you know, don't allow. At this point, we can't allow fear and separation to take over us, and that's where my personal stance is. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's another topic for sure. I think we should go more into that. It would be interesting to get uh, Dorothy Diana's take on it also. Um, But uh, that's that's a concern, you know, especially – uh, is it the psychological, you know, because one did and one didn't, or, or the actual physical, that the, the one who did can pass on things to the one who didn't, you know. And so that, that, that plays this very interesting uh, 
concern. You know, and I, I wonder if the, the the dating sites, the internet dating, do they have a category for vax? You know, or can you get vax free dating? <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, you can. There's actually a website. There's a, I have not joined it, but there's actually a website called Unjected, um, and I think that, that oh. the lady and the founder has done a podcast, I want to say with Stu Peters or somebody. I have not listened to it, and I have not, you know, I, again, I just say it because, you know, I am. As a single woman, I'm not on any dating sites or anything like that. But, again, for me to go out with somebody that has been vaccinated, whether it's a neighbor or a friend or a man or whatever, I'm not concerned right. about going out to dinner or something with somebody. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I'm not stunning people, but if you're yeah, talking about sharing bodily intimate, fluids, that's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. And I do believe though, you know, that if the person got the vaccine yesterday, you know, that there is some shedding. Do I think you get fully vaccinated? No. Do I think you can have shedding issues? Yes. You know, but I think right now we're so beyond that with most people who have gotten it, you know, um, a while ago. Yeah, folks I know got, that, got the initial shots, but they didn't get the boosters because by the second shot, they realized they made a pretty big mistake. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, but that's a whole other conversation for another time. But I okay. appreciate well, you having me on. I'm going to go back in here to see what's going on with my construction. And I will be in touch with you, Greg, because I would love to bring on a guest possibly next week. So we'll be in touch this weekend. Uh, well, you can always bring a guest on. You don't need my permission. I mean, you can even surprise me. I don't care. Um, I mean, okay. I trust you. So. Okay. So feel free. Okay. But well, it's nice um, when I have time just so I can look up the topic. You know, that's always good to know, too. Yep. yep. If yep. anybody okay. wants to reach me, um, as far as my email goes, you can email me at H2O, and O as in oxygen, H2OWellnessNetwork at gmail.com. That's H2OWellnessNetwork at gmail.com. So have a blessed weekend, everybody, and I'll talk with you later. Thanks, CJ. Talk to you next Bye. week. Bye. Bye. All right. So the websites for the show, blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Uh, my uh, legislative website is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Um, our uh, site for um, contributions, givesengo.com slash actionradio. Um, I also have paypal.com slash paypalme slash actionradio. Uh, and, again, our, our substack is gregpengliff.substack.com. Uh, paid, paid subscriptions to those are, are most welcome also. Five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, you know, what, uh, whatever works. So it'll help us do what we do that nobody else in the world does. And so that's the whole point. So I've played everything else I can play, except I haven't played uh, – I need to be a little jazz music to go out on today. So have to enjoy a few minutes of uh, Dixieland jazz back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. for our Friday show. And then, of course, I hope you all have a great weekend. I'll be back Monday, 7 a.m. Central Time, as always. So take care, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.